Holy cow, Quack 12 listeners, we've got a good episode. No, we got a great episode for you. We've got a fantastic episode for you today because it's part of our Pac-12 roster review. Uh, we're really getting down to it, and we're kind of saving uh, possibly the best for last. I mean, uh, you're probably a Duck fan if you're listening to this, so possibly the scariest for last. We're really building up the tension here because a sleeping giant may have been awoken. Um, the doomsday situation of Clay Helton being fired has happened, and, and someone uh, potentially very competent took over, and, and that is uh, – that could be bad but right now it's all about the trojans for us we're going to be diving deep into it uh we of course we have hithliday the resident film reviewer for addicted to quack how are you doing hithliday i'm well how are you i'm doing good i'm doing very well i i saw a movie last night we don't we certainly don't have time to talk about it right now but i went and i saw that new cronenberg movie crimes of the future and it is the most Cronenberg movie that's ever been. You know, I felt a little guilty the other day when we were interviewing Jeff from Wazoo, just assuming that all Washington State fans are drunks. Um, but I, feel, <laughs> I also feel bad just assuming that everybody in Los Angeles is involved with the movie industry. So, yeah, well, I mean, we can assume that our next guest probably knows David Cronenberg personally, so maybe been to a couple of uh, fancy cocktail parties you know, rubbing some elbows, talking about uh, Lincoln Riley's reign, what'll happen here. And, and so we, with a huge school like USC, with what could be the first season of, uh, I mean, of an era, who knows? I'm trying to basically jinx them, if you couldn't tell. I'm trying to build it up as much as possible. Um, we had to get someone who really knew their stuff. So we got one of our absolutely favorite guests. You need to be listening to Reign of Troy. I mean, I used to listen to it. Well, I mean, I still listen to it, but I used to uh, listen to it and, and be so happy because it was just like, oh, you're listening to two Trojan fans just lament about a Clay Helton Trojan team and just being like, when is there going to be something new? Why? Like, like truly just something new would be nice, even if it's not just the same questions of uh, being sent in of just, I hate Clay Helton. Why isn't he gone? Um, but now, uh, actually, I just listened to their most recent episode, and there is this this new air of just, uh, oh my gosh, there's some potential here. But not only that, they really, really know their stuff. It is a great listen, not just for USC News, but also for Pac-12 News. I've listened to it for years. I'm talking about Reign of Troy. You can find that at Reign of Troy on Twitter, R-E-I-G-N of Troy. Uh, you can find her specifically at Penguin of Troy. Really easy to remember there. Uh, I'm talking about Alicia de Ortola Castillo from Reign of Troy. How you doing, Alicia? I'm good. I'm glad to be back. Um, I, I'm laughing because you listened to the the one show that we've recorded in like three mm -hmm. months. <laughs> yeah, I was stoked though when it popped up. I was like, oh hell yeah! So so basically, we we wasted all of our podcasting energy during the Clay Helton era, and then we got Lincoln Riley, and then suddenly it was like, well, we're not podcasting anymore. <laughs> well, apparently, we thrived off the misery. Yeah, yeah, clearly, clearly. Um, yeah, well, I, I really do mean it. I have listened to the podcast for years. I really do like it. And I just wanted to ask you, I mean, 
I, I kind of your last episode especially made me laugh because now I'm like, okay, now I'm I've, I've almost seeing Alicia's new role here. It used to be like, yeah, Clay Helton, he stinks, but can we have like a freaking break where we're not just piling on every single micro thing he does? And now it seems like, okay, everyone, let's not pretend like we're going 12 and 0 the first year of Lincoln Riley. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like pulling those reins back a little bit almost just a little yeah i'm i'm so excited about lincoln i'm so excited about the 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 direction of the program i think it's the first time in a long time that there's been true legitimate confidence in the people running the program but <laughs> that doesn't mean that year one isn't gonna have growing pains that doesn't mean that like he snaps his fingers and brings in 40 transfers and suddenly their championship caliber squad. This team still has holes in it. We still need to see what this team, how they come together in year one. I'm just like, I'm just trying to be the voice of reason and trying to just slow the roll a little bit. Let's enjoy this ride. Let's not get ahead of, of everything and then lose, you know, lose everyone loses their minds uh, in week two when USC loses to Stanford, because that's exactly what's going to happen. Um, <laughs> It's just, yeah, <laughs> that's just a, trying to trying to calm the. It, it's actually, you know what it is. I, I just adopted a dog, so I'm in I'm in sort of a dog mood. It's like when you have an overexcited dog, and like they're very very excited. That's lovely. That's wonderful. But also, like, you want them to be able to calm their emotions, to be able to sit down and listen to commands when you need them to, instead of running around with, like a chicken with their head cut off and uh, getting into all sorts of trouble. So that's USC fans need to sort of Man, You might have picked back. the wrong fan base, Alicia. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. And uh, the transfer <laughs> portals really, like, added some gas to this fire. We were just like, oh, well, I mean, like, this year one can almost be more like a year two. And, yeah, exactly. And then you have the the phenomenon, and we'll probably talk about this when we talk about the roster, but the phenomenon of, like, shiny new toys and – because they're a transfer, they're the best thing that's ever happened. And it's like, well, uh, but like, would you have been excited about this guy when he signed in 2018 as like a three-star recruit? Like, no, you wouldn't have necessarily. So not all transfers are going to be huge successes. Not all freshmen are going to be huge successes. Uh, some guys are going to need time. Like, it's just the whole the whole transfer portal thing, the whole Lincoln-Riley thing, it's just all come together at the exact sort of perfect little tunnel of of let's overhype and then get really mad when when things don't go perfectly to start and it's like okay please 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 don't please <laughs> speaking of uh not going perfectly let's go over this last season because I and this is now, the there uh, was a transition professional radio right <laughs> that's there. That's why I'm here. Sense. Yeah, and so we've actually covered a ton of these games already from other perspectives, um, and a lot of them would be like, "Yeah, we weren't having a good season," but then we got this historic win over <laughs> USC, and it you know it kind of uh, put some pep in the fan base. There's a whole lot of that. Uh, San Jose State almost got that feel good moment right off the bat. I mean, it was a 30 to seven loss. But then once I re-looked into this game, it was like, oh, yeah, no, it was not quite that. Because it was 13-7 to 7 heading into the fourth. And there was a whole lot of fans that, you know, kind of like, uh, just like to watch USC suffer, I'm sure. And we're watching this like, come on, get the upset. 
but it doesn't happen. Keaton Slovis is out there, and uh, I, it happens because I mean Drake London is 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 superhero is amazing. A career high twelve catches for th- one hundred and thirty seven yards. That's that's a career high, but I'm pretty sure that'll be broken later this season. Even uh, the number fifteen USC. Now I don't quite remember. But were y'all like, yeah, this should be a top top twenty team here, <laughs> like right off the bat? Because that that is kind of shocking there. Oh God, no! Because and it was all a facade, right? Because the last season, the COVID season, USC had gone undefeated in the regular season, and so it was kind of like, oh, Keaton Slovis, Heisman candidate. Oh, like this team could be could be quite good. But I feel like. A lot of USC fans, on top of the question marks around Clay Hilton, also just had the memory of the the Pac-12 title game. And, you know, there were a lot of circumstances around that game that made it sort of weird and that I I wasn't like – I didn't want to blame the the team or or Hilton or anything like that for the way that went down. It just just did. Uh, But at the same time, it was still a Clay Hilton coach team. It was still a team that was always going to lose a couple games that you didn't expect. And – I think we went into the season thinking this is probably another nine and three season, eight and four, uh, you know, seven and five if things go really bad. But it's going to be a typical Clay Hilton season. And so when it started with San Jose State the way it did, it was like, yes, yep, typical. This is exactly the way that Clay Hilton teams win games when they win games. This, yes. Speaking of typical. I mean, then we got week two versus Stanford, which week is always Stanford. one of the craziest games in all the Pac-12 season. Just as in, like, whoever's supposed to lose actually wins. And, like, if you lose, don't worry. You're actually, like, that may be your only loss of the season somehow or something like that. Or if you win, like, uh, what was it? Um, I forget what year it was, but it was, like, USC won that game. I think it might have been, like, 2017 or something. USC won that game, like, rolling away like it was just a dominant 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 performance and was like yeah usc's back like this is the this is the game this is the team this is what usc is supposed to look like and then like so it's a false sort of false prophecy as well and (laughs) on the flip side you get the stanford kicks your butt and then you're like oh well we've been humbled that's the yeah Mm -hmm. especially when it's not a great stanford team which yeah you know this uh, this past season it they weren't a great Stanford team, so it's like it's even harder to harder pill to swallow. Oh, really? Tell me more about that. Yeah, yeah they're they're <laughs> they're not a good one, but no. they did be one supposedly good team, if I remember correctly. Can't quite remember last year. Uh, Parker Lewis, <laughs> the kicker, got ejected on the opening <laughs> out of kick for targeting. That's how you knew that game was going to be weird. Yes. Yes, just the, I'll give it to USC. Last season was a lot of pain, a lot of frustration, but also the typical USC circus silliness of like, well, this is this is bad, but also I'm laughing my laughing my head off because this is ridiculous too. Like USC had a kicker ejected for targeting. <laughs> it, it was also targeting. the one where like the receiver like crashes into the goalposts and like the most like yes, this video clip summarizes everything of the Clay Helton era just perfectly like which yes. is fitting because that is the final game I do believe of the Clay Helton era. It finally happened. Two games in, too. That's that's actually pretty good. Like you can tell they were like wait they were waiting for it to happen. Uh do you think it could have happened like if they would have lost to San Jose State? Do you think that's possible week one? 
I mean, at that point, I you have to think so, right? Now, I mean, yeah. the way that the San Jose State game went probably feeds into the the Stanford loss feeling as as bad as it did. But mm-hmm. considering how quickly Mike Bone was ready to pull the trigger there, like I do think it would have been possible that they could have just said we're done after week one, uh, because the problem with Clay Hilton is always if you give him a little bit of room to survive, he will survive. So like the thing I appreciated about this firing is they didn't even wait. They didn't even wait for him to like go against Washington state and have a, a great win. And then, and then have to like re you know, rebound into his job, which he was a master of doing. So if he, if they had lost to San Jose state, I hope to God they would have just said done right there because it was all the same situation. They, they, again, they, they really should have fired him after the previous season. But yeah, after the previous season, well, and I mean, and I could say that every single off season, (laughs) but like he had a way of like doing just enough to say, well, are you going to fire a guy who just went undefeated in the regular season and had weird COVID stuff going on in the, he was, you know, uh, just a a few points away from the Pac-12 title and the way that all went down with COVID and roster stuff, it was like, okay, you're not going to fire him. But it was the thing about USC's in Clay Helton's tenures of like the talent floor makes it so that like, you know, it's really hard to win fewer than eight games. Like mm-hmm. you are really like try to be doing it. Uh, and like, yeah, so every time you'd be like, dude, I won eight games. Like, what are you going to, you know, you, you know, are you really going to pull the trigger on this right now? And like, Oh boy. Um, yeah. And like, I mean, obviously bone was prepared to do it. Like he wouldn't, you know, that, that guy's not so intemperate to like, well, I'm just going to fire you after the first loss. Like, (laughs) you know, (laughs) that, you know, that was, that was clearly calculated. Uh, uh, you know the the frustrating thing i i don't know like it, it was sort of like upside down emotions i think you know because i gotta feel like a lot of usc fans were sort of like you know this is funny you know what's had the four and eight season was funny right i, I don't know was was that your perception like what did you feel about it the four the last season it, it was yeah it like, was like after clay helton was fired and you're just like well we know how this is going you know and now we just get to watch like you know, a bunch of derpy stuff and, and who cares? Or is it just like, oh man, I, I can't stand watching the Cardinal and gold, you know, lose, even though I know why it's happening. I think for me, it was, I can't stand watching this team anymore. Like, and, and part of it was just because there was a certain point where it felt like they gave up. Mm. Um, oh yeah, clearly. Yeah. And, and that was what was frustrating because, you know, USC fans, we'd, we'd gone through seasons with interim coaches before. And in most of those seasons, the team had sort of rallied around the interim coach. And there was something about the sort of uh, the fight that those teams showed, despite being in the situations they were, that you could sort of that could galvanize you as a fan. And that just didn't happen uh, this time. And part of that was because those past teams under interims were in a better position than this team was going into the season anyways. Um, part of that was because Dante Williams um, – as much as I liked the appointment uh, as the interim, he was not, I think, equipped to to be that guy yet. Uh, where you looked at a guy like Clay Helton or or like Ed Orgeron, I think they were they were more ready to be head coach and, and sort of guide the way through at that point. Uh, but you know, basically the first the first the what was it the seven games that the, sorry the six games that USC played after firing Helton were just all about okay. This sucks, but also Drake London 
is awesome. And let's yeah. just let's just watch Drake London be the best thing that we've ever seen on a football field. And even though we're losing games, at least Drake London is being absolutely ridiculous. And then the moment he got injured, it was like, well, all the joy that I have watching this team is now gone. And can this season just end? Can it just just the, the the degree to which everyone was just like, please make it stop. Just make it stop. Like, don't don't play that last game against Cal. Like, just just forfeit or something, because this is painful. That was the rescheduled game. Yeah. And it was yeah. and, and neither team was eligible for a bowl, regardless of, you know, the outcome. And it was just like, yeah, it was just like, oh, my it was on. I mean. It was unwatchable. Yeah, it, was, it was It was literally unwatchable. And I was arguing for it to be played just because, you know, that extra week of practice is, is, and, and the sure. experience that young guys can get and all those kind of theoretical things. But, like, in practice, that game was was just joyless, joyless sports. Like, it was just – it was worse than watching a spring game. It was worse, worse than watching a scrimmage. It was just – the lack potentially or like what it means for the future, even that a spring game would maybe get you was like, well, who's, who's going to be here next? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The frustrating thing is as a film reviewer is that like, it means that, you know, this film is just worthless, you know, like mm -hmm. I, I can't, I can't get any good reads on any of these players, you know, like I, I feel like I accomplished more doing the film study of Oklahoma for the Alamo bowl. Um, even though Lincoln Riley wasn't coaching in that game, I still got to sort of see like the product of his, you know, coaching and they were basically running the same scheme. So like, you know, I felt like that was better preparation for USC in 2022 than like watching any, you know, a single second of USC 2021 film, you know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's right. And that's why, you know, when I came on here, like I had sort of mentally prepared myself for, okay, we're going to talk about the roster and it's so much change. I need to make sure that I'm like on top of where each transfer came from. Cause I, you know, get them all mixed up and blah, blah, blah. And I was really focused on like the future. And then, and then you say like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll go through the season first. And I'm like, Oh, right. Like last season happened. Um, yeah. <laughs> our, like, what, yeah, it's like, like a dream. It's, it it's was, like a dream that you just woke up from. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was like a dream What you just woke up and you're like, was that actually real? Like was that didn't make a lot of sense. It must not have been real. But <laughs> in this particular case, it, it was absolutely real. And like the 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 overarching theme of it was especially after making the firing after two, after two games. And I will defend that decision. I do not think that, uh, number one, like I said, don't give Clay Helton the chance to win his job back. Number two, um, the fan base was was done. Like, they, no one was going to turn up for any game for the rest of the season. Like, that was just, that was just never going to happen. So might as well cut your losses. Um, but given the, the, the way that it ended, it was just like from – moment one outside of Drake London and Jackson Dart and then Jackson Dart ended up getting injured. So it was like, well, what are we playing for now? There was a real sense of this season is a complete and utter wash and the players seemed to know it and the coaches seemed to know it and the fans knew it. And so, you know, there were, there were little moments in there that were fun, but overall it just blended into a giant stream of why is this even, you know, what, what even is the point? 
Like, what even, why couldn't this be the COVID season that they got cut short? Like, why did we have to sit through 12 games of this? I get you that. But uh, we will sit through me uh, quickly recapping the rest of these 10 games <laughs> just to check the checklist. But stop me. Uh, I'll really quickly say these, but stop me if, if anything comes to mind. If you're like, oh, I remember. I got one particular painful memory about that one. Because uh, <laughs> we got Jackson Dart's debut at Wazoo because Keen Slovis gets injured and then Jackson. Jackson Dart comes out, then he throws four touchdowns, Drake London, 13 catches, 170 yards. So Dante Williams trying to do the uh, Clay Helton approach and win that starting job. Um, and then there was the loss to Oregon State, which is like, okay, thank goodness. That's not going to happen. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was it was that was really, really fun. Uh, Washington State and then Oregon State. No, uh, re remember, remember what you are yeah, the, back to back to real life. You're That's still the right. team that lost to Stanford. Now, that, the Oregon State game, by the way, was identical to to from my perspective to Stanford. It was just it like, was almost yeah. I mean, the, the everything about the game was almost identical, except you know, Oregon State doesn't have Stanford's wide receivers. You know, it yeah. was, you know, and 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 Oregon State might have lit them up a little bit more if there weren't you know an awful lot of uh, of flags in that game or or decline flags. You know, like, USC was a double digit favorite in both too i do believe <laughs> that sounds about right <laughs> yeah uh so chance nolan he, he takes full opportunity of that chance and he, and he wins the game 45 27 and then uh, at colorado 30 you won that one that's good and that that's like a rock bottom that will i i mean who would have cared in this season but you don't want to lose to colorado uh especially not for the first time ever that would have been it huh colorado is uh Owen 15 versus USC. So you got that. There's something about playing Colorado that just like is a, is a, a, a nice, just no worries. Somebody's <laughs> going to make a, like uh, set a record or something in a good year with like 15 touchdown passes. And in a bad year, you're still going to win 37, 14. And it's going to be like, okay, the world isn't falling, but also oh, that color, that Colorado team also yikes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we were talking to uh, Jack Bosch, the guy covering Colorado, uh, and and we were really ragging him. He was like, this was the year, dude. This was the one year you really had the opportunity. But unfortunately, you have a terrible team. Um, yeah. And then versus Utah, no shame in losing to Utah. Just want to say that. There's no shame in losing Utah. Um, 26 yeah. to 42 loss. Hey, on this Duck podcast... We we are okay with losing to twenty twenty two Utah. Uh, no no shame in losing to Utah ever. Yeah, yeah. But losing twenty six to forty two at home to Utah. <laughs> That's right. For the first, what is that? That's the first road win versus USC since nineteen sixteen for Utah, and it's their first uh, uh, win in the Coliseum. I do believe. Yes. Uh, were, had they not had a win in the Coliseum? I think you might be right. I get. Yeah, Sorry, I, Oregon, like, I don't need to remember that. <laughs> Oregon State was the first win in the Coliseum since 1960s. Yeah, yeah, since a long time. Might have been their first win in the Coliseum ever because I think when we played them before, it wasn't in the Coliseum or something like that. But uh, Utah was the first. I'm not sure if it goes back that far 
with Utah, but either like way, the last like 30 games, the home team has won has like won one exception. You know? Yeah. We're, we're not going to uh, charge you with remembering the, you know, winning streak of other teams against your team. That's, oh, but, that's too much. But this is the, this is the weird, this is the fun thing about this season, which I should go back and like double check what all of these were just like, I need like to have a chart in front of me to remind me where each of the transfers that USC currently has <laughs> came from. Like, we could make a chart of all of the sort of records and winning streaks and all this and, and stuff that got broken in this season because it was – and in, in that sense, it was like, okay, this is good. At least the Oregon State uh, win at the Coliseum came in a season that literally didn't matter. Like at least, mm-hmm. <laughs> at least the Utah loss at the Coliseum came when it wasn't – a battle for the Pac-12 South. Like, so I guess getting those sort of letting other teams get the monkey off their back. Uh, maybe this was yeah. a good strategy in yeah. the end. No, it, it was, uh, this, this might sound colossally arrogant. I hope it doesn't, but like a lot of the way that other fan bases were talking about USC, which I would then eavesdrop on reminded me about the same way that they would talk about Oregon's four and eight 2016 season. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that, that like, you know, you really you really learn where your team sort of exists in the imagination of other fans, you know, in the sort of ecosystem, uh, you know, based on like, oh, man, we really kicked their asses that time. We hold your head high, boy. And, and that's like, <laughs> OK, guys, like that's your measuring stick. Huh? All right. Well, it's honestly uh, good that this loss like these losses didn't happen in the Lincoln Riley era. Yeah. You know? Like they already are off your back. Like you can't think about it as long as he doesn't lose to Colorado. That is uh, that's. The, that's the last one. You thank you for jinxing it. That's uh... <laughs> oh no, there's still Arizona that could jinx it. Oh, there you go. Uh, um, <laughs> Arizona scares me. Yeah. I know. Air, no, for real. I mean, like, I mean, that one in in next year is in Tucson. So yeah, yeah. Last I, year I, they scared me because I was like, they're. Go- I don't want to be the first team to lose to them. No, and it just feels like it's one of those things. Like maybe it's a little bit like Oregon State in the first couple of years of Jonathan Smith. Um, where it was like, oh, they're 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 kind of they're kind of putting something together there. Like, there's something interesting going on there. They're not good, but like, there's something going on there. And like, I feel like Jed Fish is in that stage of does he does he have something figured out? Like, the defense still sucks, and I don't know what they're gonna do in in the grand scheme of things. But like, it's starting to feel closer and closer to Arizona could get somebody. Arizona is gonna get somebody sometime soon, and. uh you guys know what that feels like, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> screw you, Scooby, right? And then uh, at Notre Dame was the next one. Number 13, Notre Dame. Uh, it was a 16 to 31 loss. It was, uh, you know, like, uh, well, first it was a 24 to three Irish lead. USC rallies back. I think they get it within one score at one point later, uh, but Notre Dame wins. So I don't know if that's really a moral victory, but there was some fight there. And then uh, versus Arizona, forty-one to thirty-four. I mean, Arizona was was fighting in all those games last season. That's one mm-hmm. thing you really got to give to them. Like anyone who was watching them was like, "Well, they're better than their one in eleven record." Yes, you know, coming off of the yes semi-moral victory at Notre Dame to beat Arizona by you know a forty-one thirty-four scoreline was that was not the most encouraging thing. And but then, that's also not giving credit to Arizona, and I think they did deserve credit. But mm-hmm. it definitely had the the feel of like in the fourth quarter when they're scoring, it's like, eh, <laughs> is it time to worry? Because 
Yeah, I get that. I mean, we had that even a little bit. It was it was a game going into the fourth quarter when they were in Austin. So, yeah, uh, and, and even less encouraging um, than that close score was the injury uh, to to London, as we said. Uh, that takes him out for the rest of the season. Uh, and then, um, so after that, it was a sixteen to thirty one loss to ASU. I mean, uh, Xavion Alford got two interceptions. We should say that first two of his career. Um, yeah. but Rashad Wright, holy hell, 202 yards on the ground, three touchdowns. Uh, Gene Daniels didn't have a great game, and they, but they didn't really need to uh, when you're running that well. Yeah, and 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 that was for the rest of the season. It was like, oh, Xavier Alford did a thing, or oh, uh, so-and-so did a thing. Or like, oh, it's like a single performance that you just mm-hmm. cling to, but once Drake was gone, the, there's it's not a coincidence that USC loses the last four games of the season to, to me. I, some of these were, were closer than others, but like he was the heart and soul. It was just, well, this is done. And then there's the, oh, uh, Vavai Milipei, Alicia's favorite player, got three touchdowns against UCLA. My dude. Yeah, that was, I have always liked that guy too. Uh, that was good to, I mean, it's cool he got three touchdowns. That's sweet. Slovis gets injured in this game. UCLA just it's just a blowout 62 to 33 you have to look at that Uh, I don't know which one's worse the annoying uh like self-assured smirk of a Chip Kelly or a David Shaw because that I that's that's rough I wouldn't either of those to me it's it's Chip Kelly not and partly because he's UCLA's head coach and he was Oregon's head coach and I've always had a a sort of begrudging respect for for david jaw and just like him being stanford it's just like whatever you're you're stanford yeah but like chip Shaw's kelly because like when he pulls off a win he shouldn't have won his smirk is like i know i shouldn't have won that one <laughs> <laughs> kelly's is like oblivious he's like i always deserve wins like yeah <laughs> that's, that's exactly yes you are 100 on point there one of the uh, first games, well, one of the uh, a game I haven't ro- I haven't rooted for UC- USC in a long time in football. I'll say that much. But against BYU, I was getting this was to the point where I was sick of the joke that oh BYU would be winning the Pac-12. BYU huh. so good, and I was just like, no, I want these guys to lose because they're also like barely winning a lot of these games they're not playing the best pac 12 teams and like usc was in rough form but i was like i'm getting pretty pretty sick and tired of number 13 byu and usc you were i mean it was close malapai 99 yards and a touchdown uh you, you erased a 15 point deficit i was really in this one i was getting sick and tired of the kooks but no the trojans aren't able to help me out there uh well, there was some fight though and it's a it's a it's a good point too that like BYU was winning all these games very closely and it's like the Pac-12 wasn't particularly great last year um, and that's probably being generous and the fact that you're beating USC by four this USC team like I don't think this was a banner moment for BYU that this USC team was there for the taking this yeah, USC it- team. The, was getting blown out by literally everyone. And, and the closest game that USC played in the last four was against BYU. Like they really should have taken USC to task and, and they didn't. So 
And that was BYU coming off of a two point win over Wazoo in which they missed a, a you know, a two point conversion. Like mm-hmm. I, I gotta, I gotta yeah. do film study on BYU this off season because Oregon plays them uh, next year. And so I get to watch, you know, but I already did my charting of the five pack 12 games that they played. And every one of them was just like, I'm not impressed by this team. I'm not impressed by the pack 12 teams that they're playing either. But like, yeah. this doesn't, you know, strike me as a top 10 team, you know, in hiding or anything like, yeah, no, that was, yeah, I was with you, Adam. Like, I was kind of frustrated with that team. Yeah, and then, uh, I mean, we really don't got to talk about this game all that much because truly no one cared about it at the time. Uh, it was the day after the Pac-12 championship game. I wonder if this is how many times that has ever had. Well, I mean, I guess a, a Pac-12 <laughs> There's only been 11 that most long. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty easy to do, probably. But uh, so I guess it's, yeah, this is the first time it's ever happened. But uh, yeah, it sucked. Um, uh, Twenty-four to fourteen win for Cal uh, at Cal, so that it's good for their fan base, I suppose. Um, Dart in, Dart got injured though in the third quarter, so Miller Moss is out there. Uh, I'll I'll pretend like I knew who Miller Moss was the whole time. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, so this would complete the longest skid, so like like four games, four losses in a row that had not happened since two thousand one in a little known coach named Pete Carroll's first season. So maybe that's maybe that's a promising thing to take out of this, you know, <laughs> that fitting the the fitting end to the Clay Hilton. Yeah. Era, uh, and that's the last time we will ever make you talk about Clay Hilton. Oh, thank God! <laughs> oh, thank God! USC oh, fans won't. Well. There's a bunch of Clay Hilton recruits on the team. Like, yeah, gonna yeah we're, gonna, we're gonna have to keep talking about Clay Hilton and, and the impacts of on this roster because Lincoln Lincoln Riley is cleaning up a mess, and uh, and and sadly, it was Clay Hilton's mess. And I I, I will go to bat for Clay Hilton as you know just someone who got in over his head he should not have been given this job in the first place i i don't hate him but i i i do not love what he did to the roster so yeah uh uh what did he do to this roster Hazel Day? uh well <laughs> uh about half the team you know survives uh that that's something right um it has it has, you know we won't get to it toward until towards the end but like it is interesting what units um are okay it's just going to be the transfers at this unit like you know this was a catastrophe and we're just going to replace it with portal guys versus which units are really you know no those were you know those were all the prep recruits you know that that are playing there's actually a bunch of contrasts on the team for anybody who thinks like oh this team was entirely constructed out of the portal um because i think they took like what 20 guys out of the portal um like no not so like this is not you know a too deep that is entirely portal guys it's about you know, it's about 40%, I would say, uh, portal guys and about 60%, you know, natives or, you know, whatever you want to refer to them as, right? Like, yeah, yeah. And, and that's the thing is a lot of the, the portal guys, I think you're, you're right that they, they loaded up on, on positions, they loaded up on specific positions and, um, there, there will be positions that are, you know, that a wide receiver is is almost all uh portal guys that that you'll see except for sort of filling the gaps uh with a couple guys who have made it through but it's still and this is one of the things is it's still sort of there are hopeful promising sort of potential guys in 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 there across the roster that came through from the previous staff and might have 
you know, might have breakout seasons this year and might be able to to sort of anchor a, a rejuvenation of this team. Um, but it's still question marks across the board. And some of those question marks are how quickly will these transfer guys fit in? And some of those question marks are, okay, is Stanley Tafu like an acceptable starting nose tackle for USC? Like, is that, is this a, is this a, a question of, well, there was no transfer guy to fill that in, or is there confidence that the guys they have at nose tackle are, are fine and that they're going to get the job done. Like it's, it's that kind of thing. So it's, yeah. it is a weird mix. It, it, it's also like what makes it really difficult um, is that most of your tools for sort of assessing, um, you know, year over year um, uh, improvement go out the window. You know, when you have a coach that, when you have a team that has a very high talent profile, but then turns in a four and eight season with the fired coach after a long time, it's like, okay, were you underperforming because you are just a bust, like which a huge number of players are like, there's no dishonor in that. It's just law of averages. Or, you know, are, are you secretly a great player who just been coached wrong? And if you were put in the right position, you know, by a more competent staff, you'd like the world on fire there's absolutely no way to tell um and, and you know so much uh i mean honestly you know just as an overview like I, I could i could see anything from usc going undefeated to struggling to make a bowl game simply because all of those question marks you know we we just don't know you know we we just don't know if that that dude is actually good or not um you know yeah, it's impossible to tell because of sort of the suppression, the suppression field, the Clay Helton suppression field uh, has now been lifted. <laughs> and we're only now getting eyes on these guys, you know, under what, you know, looks to be a fairly competent coaching staff. Well, and even even spring camp, a lot of guys were out with injury. A lot sure. of the transfers hadn't come in yet. Like so even, you know, looking at, at sort of a depth chart projection for out of spring camp. A lot of it's well, this this may be, but also there's there's even more guys coming in. Like Bobby Haskins on the offensive line didn't get mm -hmm. to play in in spring camp, so it's like, is the offensive line that that I could pencil in right now? Is, is that really what it's going to look like? And is Bobby Haskins all that good? Like you know he he yeah, who knows? Um, yeah exactly. He was he was very good. At, I mean he was he was a starter at Virginia. There's a, there's a lot of guys who were starters where they were, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they were good and and that's what one of the things i was getting at earlier is is the idea of even a transfer coming in is going to have to be given the same question of well are you automatically good because you're new and shiny and and, and transfer like right so um someone like travis die yeah we know we know what travis die is that's that's not a question uh yeah. it's going to be fine but like Romello Height, I think USC, sure. the, the rush end from uh, from Auburn, USC right now, it sounds like USC is going to rely heavily on Romello Height from Auburn and Shane Lee from Alabama. And, you know, Shane Lee got playing time as a true freshman. Um, there's the the safety from Ohio State that's also um, coming no, in. I that can tell you he's terrible. Like, trust well, me on that one. Well, that's and that's and this is this is the thing that I'm that I'm saying is that like, oh, these guys started for Ohio State or Alabama as freshmen, but like were they any good in those, like they were thrown into early probably, but like, were they any good? And will they actually be any good at USC? If, if Shane Lee and Romello height aren't quite good for USC this year, then the defense is in trouble. So there's some, some huge question marks going on there. And, 
you know, it, there's a there's a question around, you know, the corners are the same thing. The offensive line is absolutely going to be the same thing yeah. of are were you mishandled or or do you actually have something to, to go on? And my fear is that just like the hit rate on recruits is probably going to be like 50% or something like that. Like the hit rate on these transfers is going to be like 50%. Like yeah, exactly. people might get really excited about Brendan Rice. That doesn't mean that Brendan Rice is going to be that good. That doesn't mean that Terrell Bynum is going to be like a game changer. That doesn't yeah, exactly. mean like, you know, we're those are two guys were on the forefront of my mind as well. Like were those guys, you know, look at their numbers. They look like, you know, good receivers. Well, maybe those are the only guys on their teams who could catch the ball because it's not yeah. like Washington, Colorado's offenses were any good, you know, like, you know, the ball's got to go somewhere, right? Like it's, in, you know. Uh, yeah. Well, and then, and then on the flip side, you know, if you want to go from the, the positive optimistic perspective, it's, well, Brendan Rice, who was throwing him passes last year, you know, yeah. like he put up those numbers in a, in an offense that was really crappy. Maybe you put him in a, in an offense that knows what it's, what it's about, with a quarterback that knows that knows who he's about and suddenly he could be, you know, the 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 next coming of of Jerry or whatever. But those are all those are all gambles. Those are all guesses. And and you're right. Like this, you know, I'm not gonna rule out 12 and 0 because anything is possible. I mean, like I don't, this level of talent, I'm I wasn't that wasn't hyperbole. Like it's entirely yeah. possible. Like it that's that that is a non-zero possibility. Like yes. uh is it a good possibility? No, I don't. I don't. Not. I mean, I don't think so. Twelve and zero for any team is, you know, like it's hard. Yeah. Alabama lost to A and M last year with a terrible backup quarterback. You know, like it happened. Yeah. You know, uh, but like, you know, for anybody who thinks that like you know USC exists at this you know horrible talent hole and that Clay Helton was like actively like ripping the best players out and, and putting two stars in place, like no, not true. Like the the guys that they have and the transfers they brought in, if they work out, like no shit that's a that's a playoff team you know like this is playoff caliber talent like the only question is whether it happens you know well the the exception is really um in the trenches i I think that yeah i think you've got you got skill position players that even if you only hit on 50 percent of them like you still got jordan addison like you know jordan addison's going to be good you know travis die is going to give you a certain level like all of those things are, are 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 you can rely on more but the offensive line is um a question and the offensive line was way better last year than I think anyone expected. Mm. Uh, they were not the, the reason that USC lost the games that they lost uh, across the board. But this offensive line is still, you know, the second line. I, that's one yeah. of the storylines coming out of out of spring camp was that a walk on was taking second yeah. uh, second team uh, reps, and it's like that's that's the issue because if if there's an injury. On the one injury on the offensive line makes things a little bit untenable, and uh, you you can't be a, a you know a ten and two team if your offensive line is is as thin as this one is if if you run into even a, a spate of bad luck, and yeah. that's where my concern is from the roster perspective is they were still recruiting good players those players weren't developing and now you have a gap of the guys who stuck around stuck around because they are, you know, they're just happy to be a body Mm. and can't you even rely on those guys to, to step up when you need them to? Uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know that those, that those guys are, are in there. I think the coaching staff needs to do a lot of really good work 
not on the front line, you know, first team players. The the good work that needs to be done is sort of the second and third line where make these guys capable of of stepping in when you need them to because uh, I've been, you know, been through enough seasons to know that this starting lineup is not going to stay healthy the whole year. Like stuff's <laughs> going to happen. Yeah, no, I mean, we, we see it over and over again. It's one of the reasons why, you know, you mentioned earlier that you, you liked, you know, what you were seeing out of Jonathan Smith at Oregon state. And I can tell you from doing this project, you know, on, on all these teams, that one of the things, the, the reasons why he caught my eye too, was that like, I thought he's a really good roster or is a really good roster manager in terms of like training of the backups so that when something happens, there's a guy who's ready or that like, they're not surprised um, when, you know, oh, oh, all my linebackers left. Well, guess what? You know, I've trained up all the other backup linebackers so they can just smooth step in and like boy you know usc's not in that position right like it's uh you know the 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 dam has a lot of leaks and they've gotten a lot of you know uh, uh you know material to, to clog those leaks and 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 we're just sort of gonna see how it goes but like it's still a leaky dam you know like it's still like you know it's probably not going to be the case like even if we assume the best of this staff and i you know i do think it's a pretty good looking staff although i'm a little surprised by how few of the oklahoma guys are on it like he was really like picking and choosing from a lot of different schools but anyway i think this is a good looking staff uh like i, I think if they had their druthers they'd sort of like to burn this down and you know rebuild and be like ask me how good of a coach i am in four years from now but like nobody gets to do that you know no like, you, you have to work with you know what you got and like oh boy on the other hand like it is like I'm not sure this has ever happened before in college football history that like a team is this saturated with portal guys. Um, you know, it, uh, it will be a fascinating experiment to see if it, you know, it can be made to work. Um, I, I tend to agree with you. That's another thing that the, about the offensive line, another thing that, that this project has really taught me is that like you can do fairly well through the portal in like paving over potholes um but the one sort of like real exception and you can do a good job with uh, quarterbacks in the transfer portal because like it really can be the case that a guy like doesn't click with the previous staff and then he transfers to a new school and plays at a different level um probably not gonna be the case with Caleb Williams because it's the same staff but like uh but you know you see it all the time where where like a quarterback really transforms for the most part other players you know linebackers and safeties and so forth and so on they're like they just play at their talent level regardless of what school they're at on the other end of the spectrum there is one exception where it's like you know sorry you can't build this through the transfer portal and that's the offensive line like it it, like my experience from doing all this study is that like you have to build that organically and the problem with falling into an offensive line hole is that it takes you like four years to to crawl out of it organically like um you know i i'm i'm totally with you like if usc has you know a structural problem in 2022 it's that like yeah, you know, the offensive line may not be able to execute Lincoln Riley's scheme, which is like is more complicated than the air raid stuff that, you know, that they've been doing. I, you know, it's sort of a it's a frustrating misconception about um, like the, the guys who come off of Mike Leach's tree, like Mike Leach, his blocking scheme is super simple. Um, but everybody who comes off of his tree wants to do some like hybridize the air raid with some other thing. And inevitably it's a, it's about making the offensive line do more complex stuff. So like, you know, we were talking with, uh, 
um, Jeff about Eric Morris, who's coming in to, to run Wazoo's offense, which is, you know, he's an air guy who worked and played at Texas Tech for a long time. But like he wants to merge it with like a spread option, you know, offense where they're doing a bunch of like zone read runs and RPOs and stuff. And so, you know, guess what? Your offensive line has to be able to execute that stuff. And, you know, with Lincoln Riley, you know, I did all this, you know, film study. And I, I swear I'm not trying to like duck explain uh, USC's <laughs> offense to you. But like, you know, it, it was really remarkable and fascinating. I really enjoyed that project because like he's marrying like a power RPO scheme to an, uh, an air raid um, passing tree, which is like, I've never seen anything. like I've seen each of those individual elements, but I've never seen all three of them put together. Um, hell, I've never even seen any two of those things put together and to put all three of them together. Just like, wow, like there's a reason why this guy gets a lot of attention from like the, the really like schematically oriented commentators is like, this is really fascinating stuff. But I can tell you like, oh boy, does that put a lot of strain on the, the offensive line? Like they have to do power pull. Like we saw it all over the spring game. Like look at all those pulls, you know, like look at all mm-hmm. that power blocking that, that that those, you know, linemen were doing. You could tell those guys were not, had not been asked to do that stuff before, you know? Um, or when they'd, done, when they'd done that kind of stuff, it had gone so poorly that everyone yeah. was just like, please never let's, run that again. Let's do something else. Yeah, no, like yeah. I could, I, I could definitely see that, you know, as being a, a sort of a, you know, even if the offensive line last year was better than people expecting like the probably the expectations for them given the nature of lincoln riley's scheme is probably it's up a notch and yeah. uh, we're just gonna have to see you know whether or not they can they can handle it and like uh, we're just not gonna know like for a long time we're, we're not gonna know um yeah and and a lot of those guys i mean the, a lot of those guys are are seniors or guys who usc has relied upon in the past and there's only six of them really like there's only six that they're going to rely on. And so if those six can't come together to do the scheme, there is no one else there. There's no help. There's no, I mean, unless coming out of nowhere, one of the sort of the, the Andrew Malex or the, the, uh, Andres de work of the world. Like if they come through, maybe you get really lucky, but there are no reinforcements here. There, yeah. there's no help, and I think the thing that you you hit on is is exactly why I kind of want to to be leading the charge for patience, because everyone's going to expect Lincoln to to get off the ground so quickly because he's gotten all these transfers in. But like you said, the 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 reinforcements on the offensive line aren't here now, and they won't be here next year. And they've I'm like the Neelan and Dietrich and uh, and Voorhees are all graduating. Yeah. And so you're going to have to be plugging holes with guys who right now USC fans should be crossing their fingers and praying to whatever deity that they pray to that there are some transfers that that want to come in and, and fill a, a specific gap at some point for next season or that the you know offensive linemen that have been recruited um immediately like immediately hit the ground and this wasn't a particularly like great offensive line recruiting class either uh so the it's not and, just and the other thing one. about portal guys you know i know we're offensive lines not the portal but like the, all the rest of them is like that that's limited eligibility right like you're getting yes. those guys who are like upperclassmen and so forth like they really need to like really jump up the recruiting like that that's you know and if you want to supercharge your recruiting having a good 2022 season you know is probably you know a a pretty essential part of that like yeah there's there's a lot that sort of hangs in the balance here yeah and it's not just for for 2022 it's for 2023 2024 there will be a ceiling that this team has until the offensive line specifically gets 
reworked. And unlike, you know, safety, USC's recruited the defensive back pretty promisingly. I think there's some really promising guys at defensive back. I think there's some some exciting guys coming through at linebacker as, as they develop. Like there's there's a very thin defensive line again, so that also needs some work. But you look down the names of like the defensive line, and you're like, oh no, I, I I'm excited to see what this guy looks like as a as a as a redshirt junior or whatever. But I can't say that on the offensive line, and that's really where my yeah. my major concerns are. Let me ask you one um, more thirty five thousand feet question before we get to the nitty gritty of the personnel, which is, um, I was kind of surprised that the staff wasn't just a wholesale, rep- you know, like you know cut and paste from the the oklahoma staff like like you know the the new oc is is uh the slash offensive line coaches from texas a&m you know they got utah's running backs coach uh you know they got uh tulsa's tight ends coach um was that was that a surprise to you or, or what's going on there what do you think i think there was there was some loyalty to oklahoma that mm-hmm. um was sort of built into that staff um, you know, like D'Amico Murray was was not going to come as the running backs coach. Um, Bill Beden- Bedenbow, uh, I always forget which way. To, I think it's Bedenbow. Um, supposedly, USC was very, very close to adding him, and he decided to to stick around at Oklahoma, especially after they hired Venables. So, like, some of the big hitters on that staff that USC pursued and tried to get to come along. Um, some of it was just a loyalty to Oklahoma that they that they wanted to stick around and sort of I get that I, I for certainly for the two that I've mentioned makes a lot of sense why they'd stay um and then I and then I wonder if part of it was just Lincoln um you know working with what he had and and trying to change things up a little bit with with some of the additions like you know Josh Henson I think is a is sort of a savvy hopeful pick that if you, if you can't get Bedenbow go with a guy who is supposedly doing good things at sort of a lower level and give him that chance. But, um, you know, th- there was a lot of talk initially that there were they were pursuing additional Oklahoma guys and then those things just fell through. So I don't know if it was a financial, uh, if there might have been financial situations that were being matched or not matched. Um, loyalty to Oklahoma. Uh, specifically not wanting guys to, to come along that, that I, I, I couldn't tell you the, in, the individual um, sort of thinking behind all yeah, of that. Sure. Um, uh, when we get to the defense, I'll ask you about the defense, but just the offensive coaching staff, like any, any concerns about any of these guys? I assume you've checked them out and, and they, they all look good to you. They, I mean, they all basically look good to me. I mean, that's the thing is, is there's a lot to be excited about. Um, the, my, my biggest probably question mark concern is with Josh Henson because mm-hmm. he has the biggest job on the roster to fix, to recruit, to, yeah. to do all of that. And I am a, you know, if you've listening to the show, you'll know that Michael and I are both huge fans of Bill Biedenboe. Um, So it was very disappointing when he didn't come along. Uh, but from what I've seen of, of Henson, from what I've heard about Henson, that he's a bright young guy who really could, um, who really could shine at USC, but USC absolutely needs that one to hit. And it's concerning to me that the, the area that USC absolutely can't miss on in terms of, of a coach is the one where I'm the least certain about, but um, you know, kill McDonald, great, great reputation. Oh, yeah. um, Zach Hansen, 
also another young guy that that uh, has some experience with offensive line. So hopefully he's able to get the the tight ends to actually block proper, <laughs> properly. And I all wasn't that. seeing a whole lot of that in the spring game, but uh, we'll no, but <laughs> you know, I I dare to dream. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty happy with that uh, with that offensive staff given uh, given what's available. So. Um, the, it is interesting though, because I mean, it's pretty much just Lincoln Riley and Dennis Simmons, the outside wide receivers coach. They've of course tragically had to replace the, the inside wide receivers coach mm-hmm. when Dave Nickel passed away of cancer. Um, uh, you know, and and like I said, you know the, I you know I just had to throw away all the 2021 tape. It was just useless. Um, and and you know, but happily I, I was fairly familiar with Lincoln Riley's offense from my Alamo Bowl project. And so you know, when I almost everything that I know about USC for 2022 comes from watching the spring game which you know that's always dangerous right like the mm-hmm. spring game is you know weird for a lot of reasons um but you know i was sitting there thinking like you know it's just riley and simmons maybe this offense is going to be different and then i turned on the spring game tape and like nope this is <laughs> this sure is oklahoma like this is extremely oklahoma um uh you know that i you know i can definitely uh vouch for that one like um uh, you know, it, it is, it, it will, it will be a remarkable accomplishment. I guess I'll put it that way. Like, because this is very, like, I don't believe that not only are, is it very disparate, but I don't think any of these guys work together. Like I, I tried to like uh, go through the, like the network pathing. It was like, did these guys all, you know, were they all at like Eastern Kentucky at some point, you know, like, nope, you know, and they, they, as far as I can tell, they all met, you know, when they got to heritage hall, you know, at some point in December, um, uh, and it will, you know, if he makes this a cohesive staff under his, you know, particular vision as a fairly young coach, uh, you know, it will be a remarkable accomplishment. Yeah. And, and again, that just goes back to all of the things that have to go right and all of the pieces in the puzzle that have to fit immediately in order for this season to be successful. But yeah, this is why I'm not trying, I'm tr- trying not to judge this season too, too harshly sure. because you're right. You know, a lot of these guys were um, sort of guys that they, they had to fill a gap, right? Like I think kill, kill McDonald was like the third choice for running back. I think they tried to get Murray and then they tried to get the guy who went to um, Texas. I forget, mm-hmm. I forget his name. Yeah. Um, and then they, I, I mean, getting they, Utah's running backs coaches. Oh, like- it's, hardly a consolation prize oh absolutely not yeah a huge like huge win for for usc on this front but it's also kind of goes to show that they had to go a little bit further out in terms of the search to to bring him in now he could fit perfectly he could vibe perfectly he could also maybe not totally get get the system or or get the running backs that are in the room or anything like that like yeah no those are two uh, totally different offensive systems like yeah and he's probably accustomed to a certain way of running things from you know kyle whittingham you know the, mm-hmm. the ultimate old school guy you know and lincoln riley's kind of the ultimate new school guy you know like maybe there's a culture clash there that's sort of what i i'm saying like i'm not predicting that there will be a culture clash i i i I have a, actually a lot of degree of confidence that Riley will be able to hold this staff together. It's just remarkable what he's attempting to do, you know, like, and that's, I think, I think that's a real, that's something that I haven't necessarily heard people bring up, but it's a, it's a very, very good point. The same reason why I'm sitting here going like, slow the roll guys, the roster has to come together. You don't know how these transfers are going to fit in. We don't know what the team chemistry is going to be. We don't know how all this is going to work. The, the chemistry on the on the coaching staff is is the, is the same question you know the, mm-hmm. the 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 entire staff has to come together and people are asking them to come together in a matter of months when these kinds of relationships the trust and all of that kind of stuff that goes into having a successful football program 
it it's going to take more than, a, than just a few months to to have that really come through and to have that build up. So and um, it's happening under like very high expectations under the Los Angeles media microscope, you know. Yes, hugely no, high no expectations. No pressure guys like Yeah, and and no pressure uh, n- no pressure from the the national media that's starting to make USC a top 5 team because they got the quarterback who also, I mean even on Caleb Williams, I feel bad for Caleb Williams because like mm-hmm. He was, he's a very exciting quarterback. He's young. I mean, he's young as hell. He's young as hell. Like he was good. He was exciting last year, but it's not like he, like, I just saw a list of like the top five, top quarterbacks in the country or whatever. And they had him number three. And I'm like, okay, he could be, he he could get there, but based on year one performance, like, I don't think he's not even a full year, you know, yeah, it was famously, you know, sort of came in in the end. And like, you know, I, like I said, I wrote a whole article about the guy. Like I, you know, I've got criticisms of him. Mm -hmm. I I think that he is, you know, I said this to an Oklahoma podcaster when we were interviewing him before the, the Alamo bowl that like, if he has a good season, he's a Heisman caliber, you know, capable, you know, kind of guy. He could be in New York 100%. On the other hand, I mean, how many Heisman caliber, you know, guys have gone through USC and are, you know, bagging groceries at this point? Mm-hmm. Not that there's anything wrong with bagging groceries, but like, you know, it's a, you know, pump to brakes, guys. Like, you know, the, the, the ESPN going to the spring game and like you know, those jokers, like, I was just like, can we like leave these kids alone for yeah. t- 10 minutes? Like, <laughs> I mean, especially just everyone on this team is going to face incredible uh, pressure and Lincoln Riley himself is going to face incredible pressure because not only does he have, you know, USC fans expectations, national media expectations, but he's also a hated figure. And like Oklahoma fans are Oklahoma, the Oklahoma sort of the, the, that whole sphere over there is waiting for any little trip. And like, that's going to feed into the coverage that goes on with Lincoln Riley in year one at USC. Like there's going to be micro, nitpicking about every little thing that USC does or doesn't do. And that can, you know, that can get to a person. And and I hope that he has a, that, that this staff becomes a strong support system for him. But like you said, it's, it's not like these are the guys that he used to sort of ride or die with at, at Oklahoma for, for a long time. Like a lot of these guys are still, you know, in, in their sort of newer phases of, of relationships. So I just think there's a lot of pressure on this roster, on this coaching staff. And we're just, I mean, all of this conversation is just highlighting there's a million things that can go wrong here. And when we say things go wrong, like, you know, it could still just be seven and five or whatever. Like that could be things going wrong. But like, that's not the end of the world for you you know, you're one under a new coaching staff. Like, you're not like Oklahoma fans will ever like let you hear the end of it. Oh no. And, and and trust me, Oregon fans are, are, are pretty familiar about being mad at your ex. Like, uh, Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's somewhat difficult to read Oregon boards at some point. And yeah. All right. Let's dive into the roster. Um, I, so, uh, let's start with the quarterback. Uh, it's Caleb Williams job. We've talked about him a little bit. Like I, as you say, he was a true freshman last year. Uh, very young. I, you know, I had a couple of criticisms, but I think he holds the ball a little long, you know, like he's looking for the perfect throw and he's sort of, you know, very confident in his scrambling abilities, but like, I, I, you know, I think he's got Heisman potential. Um, you know, I don't really have any, you know, complaints at all. I, I, I suspect he's going to have a pretty good season. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think I think the only thing that's going to get in the way of Caleb Williams 
having a pretty good season is people not being happy with a pretty good season. Like, mm-hmm. like, uh, ex- ex- like if, if he falls under the expectations of I've got to go out and win a Heisman this year, like I've seen that fall apart. <laughs> I've seen, I've seen many a USC Heisman candidate in the preseason, like fall yeah, apart right. because suddenly they have the weight of the world on their shoulders. And he seems like he's got a good, good head on his shoulders and, and he's in a familiar system and all that. So I think the chances are he'll be, he'll be good. Um, the 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 question of whether or not he'll be elite yet i'm not i'm not going to expect him to be elite yet like you said watching him as a freshman at oklahoma there were little little things like like i forget who i was talking to but they were they were mentioning that like you know one of the concerning things is he's not that good at reading the uh the rpo yeah. And it's like, that's essential. So mm-hmm. these are things that, you know, can come all, can come on in an, in a, in an off season and can, he can fix that up, but he's still, he's a, he's a true sophomore. Like <laughs> I'm excited for him. Let's let him do his thing and continue to learn. And, uh, and yeah, USC's quarterback situation will be fine. I'm pretty certain about that unless bad, bad things happen. And I will knock on yeah. wood for that. Uh, yeah, no, I just pulled up my, my chart from the, yeah, I have an 82% RPO read accuracy rate, which is about nine points less than what you want it to be. Uh, mm. it's, you know, uh, but he's a true freshman, you know, yeah. like, you know, that happens. Let's talk about the backup situation. Um, you know, Miller Moss. Well, it was funny because Miller Moss and Jackson Dart came in at the same time. And, you know, I thought in the 2021 spring game that Dart was way ahead of Moss. And, uh, you know, it didn't surprise me that he was the guy, you know, who was replacing Slovis uh, last year. But Dart and Slovis have both uh, transferred out. I assume that Miller Moss is guy number two. He looked okay in the spring game. Um what, what do you think about the guy? How much of a fall off do you think it is if um, there's a problem with Williams? Uh, it's, it's a pretty good fall out fall off. Um, he Lincoln seems to like him quite a bit. And mm-hmm. a lot of this spring was spent talking about how he had come on very, very strongly and that he kind of had turned a corner from being a true freshman, which. Do, not, do you agree surprising. with that assessment about Dart versus Moss in 2021? Oh, absolutely, yes. Dart okay. was ahead of Moss, yeah. And and it wasn't just, uh, you know, in terms of playmaking ability, um, Dart, the, the big drop-off between a Dart or a Williams to a Miller-Moss is that he's just not as, as mobile, mm-hmm. um, so he can't get himself out of trouble. So I think that he, you sort of see his flaws a little bit more when when the push comes to, sl- comes to shove. Uh, but uh, but this past spring, he seemed to have turned a corner. And uh, the feeling now is that, yes, he's number two. He, is he the guy that you want starting games for USC right now? No. But uh, but is he a capable backup who, in, in a pinch, if he needed to come in, would things absolutely fall apart? It doesn't sound like things will fall apart. It sounds like uh, the, the staff is, is pretty confident in him. The, the bigger issue is not with the number two. It's that there literally is no number yeah. three. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's crazy. I mean, like, you know, and, you know, everything that we said about Williams as a 2021 guy is true of Miller Moss, but with less experience, right? Yes. Like, um, you know, he's, he's also a 2021 guy who, you know, um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking at the rest of the room. I, you know, I count for other guys, but I don't think any of them are rated to coming out of high school, right? Like there's um, Mohassan, the Vandy transfer who was, you know, has been injured for, I think his entire time at USC. Is he actually, what's his health? on un, un, uncertain unknown, unknown. Yeah. um possibly possibly not able to to play yeah. the season he's still on the roster so we'll see if he comes out but uh but 
yeah yeah no I, I mean i've been rooting for the guy because it's such a weird I, you know story but i love like, him it just yeah sucks. it just sucks that you know for a guy to just be you know sideline all this time there's a yeah. couple other walk-ons i think brad aoki and uh isaac ward we've never seen them and then i actually would bet that the number three is uh jake jensen the juco uh mm -hmm. who came in um he actually had a 140 passer rating uh uh last season which i mean it's junior college it's a little difficult to, to make that inference but like you know he threw 268 passes it was more than caleb Williams through uh like I, that that'd be my bet for number three you think I'm wrong uh I, I think you're probably right um it's it's hard to say it's hard to say for sure at this point but um there's a there's another quarterback that's that's coming in in the in the recruiting class that's uh no there is uh, so Gage Roy I think hmm. he's like a preferred walk-on um there's some preferred walk-ons that I, I don't remember the names of but like they're they're coming in and they're they're not like heralded they're they're just bodies they're bodies that are coming in so um we'll see but the the plan behind miller moss uh yeah you're i think you're right that like the juco guy is probably who you feel most comfortable with because he's actually thrown passes and yeah in semi-live situations yeah, no, but, you know, not to not to restate the obvious too much, but like, yeah, you know, this team goes as Cable Williams health goes, you know, like, yes. wrap that guy in bubble wrap uh, running backs. Um, boy, this the is ultimate like the, transfer room. Yeah, I know. Like the 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 they lost everybody from last year, right? They lost uh, uh, Keenan Kristen and and County Ingram and Valamai Malapai, Quincy Junti. Um, it was like everybody. Uh, Brandon, mm -hmm. Brandon Campbell. Um you know, it's all all gone. Um, there's as far as I can tell, there's only one scholarship guy who returned um, who was himself a transfer, uh, Darwin Barlow, who came in from TCU, I think the year prior. Um, he was playing with the twos uh, in the spring game. Uh, I think there's a walk on in the room, Matt Colombo, but that's it. Like, uh, mm -hmm. like I, I really, I think there's only four dudes currently on the roster, plus a, the true freshman Relique Brown, but he's not arriving until the fall, right? Yes. Yeah. So we haven't really gotten to see him. Uh, with the current roster, but yeah. there there's hope that he'll that he could be sort of a an X factor guy that, that just breaks through. But also with a true freshman, I never I, I never try yeah, to right. put that on them. I mean, if you're gonna bet on any of them, you know, bet on a a, a five, you know, he's either a five star, borderline five star. But like, yeah, no, it's you know, uh, uh, of course, the headlines is is that they got you know two arguably the two best running backs in the league last year, Travis Dye from Oregon and Austin Jones from Stanford. Stanford, you wouldn't know it because the the numbers are not there, but I can tell you that guy caught my eye um, uh, when he was a true freshman in 2019. I think he's a really really good running back, um, and he was just playing on a terrible offense. Um, uh, you know. It, uh, I, I, frankly, I don't really have any. Well, actually, I do have a question. Do you think that Austin Jones is a good running back, Alicia? You know, I don't remember uh, him specifically from from Stanford, to be honest. Um, I want to say that when he committed, I looked at some highlights and was like, oh, hey, that, that there's something there. Uh, but it was in it was in the way that um, you look at all transfers and you look at highlight packages and go like, oh, this guy's something there. Yeah, so, highlights are always, you know, they're highlights. Right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I honestly can't say. And and you know, at this point with running backs, I, I don't trust anything I see until I see them in actual pads and actual game game work. Um, so we'll see on that one. But the just the fact that he has Pac-12 experience 
is better than 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 the alternative of like having to rely on a true freshman like really brown to actually come in and and be the number two guy or number three guy there Um, i mean that's this to me the scary thing's not it's not Travis Dye, you know, we all love Travis Dye. And to me, you know, I've been been forced to because Oregon plays, you know, Stanford every year. And usually they're the obstacle. You know, I guess it's often true of USC as well. Uh, you know, I, I've been forced to watch, you know, Austin Jones all this time. I'll, I'll vouch for him. I think he's a damn good running back. You know, the, the question is what happens if both of those guys are unavailable at the same time, which like don't say that can't happen. It has happened with USC oh. multiple times in the last couple of years. If USC has less than five capable running backs, like I I know the USC is going to have a walk on playing at some some significant. I mean, at some Alicia, point. I think you just described exactly what the room is, right? Because I mean, it's just Jones, Die, Barlow, the TCU guy, Relique Brown, the true freshman who hasn't arrived yet, and Matt Colombo, the walk on. And I like that's it. There are no more mm-hmm. human beings in the running back room. Um, like, I, I think there's a non-zero probability that we see Matt Colombo carrying the ball at some point. <laughs> like, no, I, I I agree, and I think it's. Um, it's it's a it's a one of those tight ropes that USC is walking at a few positions this year where um if things start to go wrong and the way that things do in football they tend to injuries tend not to be spread out across a roster injuries tend to con- congregate in one room uh so just start prayer circles that it's not the running back room which is is kind of the this this weird balance of like USC's running back room is as like this is might be the lowest floor of a running back room that USC has had in a while. Highest uh, floor, do you mean? Sorry, yeah, the highest floor. <laughs> My bad. Um, in that, like, if if either one of those three guys is healthy, then I feel pretty good about have the guy in the backfield. Um, but you're right. You're you you are running into a situation where you might have to call on Relique Brown before he's ready. You might have to. I mean, I don't even know. I'm I'm sitting here trying to think. Like, is are there any receivers that could be tr- that could be converted? And I'm I'm not sure that anyone specifically comes. Yeah, to mind. it doesn't look. I mean, that I, you took the words right out of my mouth because, like, the way that that USC has preferred to recruit and 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 Riley has gotten guys out of the portal. There's none of these like little scat back guys who like oh, in a pinch you could play running back. Like, I don't see a single one um, yeah. in the running back room. Like. Uh, well yeah no I, I just don't see any of them um yeah no I, I, that's my you know number one con- well i guess my other concern would be like you know i, I having watched travis die for his entire career like i can tell you he's been running uh, uh, behind in my opinion the best offensive line on the west coast um mm-hmm. for his entire career and i don't think that he will be running behind the best offensive line in the west coast uh, you know when he's at usc and you know, I guess, you know, maybe to cushion the blow for USC fans, I, you know, I, I'm not expecting a thousand yard season out of Travis Dye um, at USC. Do you think I'm, do you think I'm being a sourpuss? What do you think? Um, I, I think if, if you gave me uh, an over under on a thousand yards, I, I'd go under and, but that's partly just because um, the plan at this point seems to be to have a three headed running back room uh, where Dye and Jones and Barlow are sort of mixed in um as they go in each game so will anyone get a thousand yards of of usc's running backs i would bet on no on that um at the same time it it all depends on what this offensive like like we talked about earlier if these guys if these veteran guys take to this scheme 
then you know maybe it's a maybe it's a possibility but uh i'm not going to sort of bank on that what if um yeah and and that's the i i don't know that any of these guys are going to be like the workhorse guy who's who's going to go out there and get 1500 yards and i'm not sure that this offense is going to be built to have a running back who gets you know 1200 yards just you you put you know i guess but Linda White behind this offense or Reggie Bush, like, yeah, sure, they'll get it. But uh, none of these guys are that. So, and that, and that would be my big question about, um, and you guys know more about Travis Dye than I do. Um, I just don't, uh, I sort of am not certain what to expect on, on the front of like the ceiling of this group. Like I, like I said, I think they have a very high floor, Outside of Relique Brown, I'm not sure that we're looking at somebody and anybody who sort of has like super game break ability. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't. I guess I'll put it this way: I don't see Kennedy Brooks, you know, in this running back yeah, room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where like, you know, I I had to watch a whole season of Kennedy Brooks too at, at Oklahoma, and I had to watch him, you know, tear Oregon up um, in the the Alamo Bowl because Oregon didn't have any defensive players in that game, and and frankly, even if they did, Kennedy Brooks probably tear him up too. Uh, but like. Yeah, you know, I, I like Travis Dye a lot. You know, I, I like Austin Jones a lot. I, I don't know anything about Barlow. Um, but like, you know, the those guys are those guys are good when they have holes to run through. They're the you know, Kennedy Brooks was like a magic maker. Um, and like I don't I, you know, uh, you know, and, and and well, we'll talk about the offensive line. We talked about the offensive line. Uh yeah. let's talk about the tight ends for for now. Um we you know for for years you uh, and one I... second before we move from the running back I simply have to say this if Matt Colombo does uh actually <laughs> touches for USC it would not be the first time a Colombo play or was in the Coliseum because there is an episode of Colombo where <laughs> it all takes place in the Coliseum I just had to say that continue love it love it all right. trivia corner I love it um tight ends uh for years alicia you and i have been remarking that like why is this tight end room have like eight guys in it <laughs> in graham harold's <laughs> offense um and it's still got like eight guys in it or, or you know it's it got got quite a few there's two two departures uh, eric Cromanoke, who was sort of the h back for a long time um and michael trigg um who i actually had pretty high expectations for but he's transferred out uh i think those are the only departures is that right yeah because uh josh follow is is technically still still kicking mm. um he's yeah, just I, I don't perpetually injured and perpetually yeah. present but no additions either as far as i can tell I, I don't think they recruited or got anybody out of the portal for this position did they uh no no i mean malcolm epps is from texas but that was that was last, last year. year yeah 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 um so in the uh, I, I agree with you about Josh Fallow. I'm not expecting to see him. I'm not expecting to see Ethan Ray. Um, I was sort of expecting to see Lake McCree in the spring game, but I didn't. Um, he what, was what, uh, he's he was injured. He missed okay. he missed most of spring. But do you have any projections for what is like? Is this going to be a three tight end, you know, rotation um, for the fall, or do you really think it's just going to be Epps and 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 that's it? I think I think McCree is going to be involved. Absolutely. Okay. I think I think Wolf McCree and Epps should all be involved. Um, how that breaks out, I'm a little bit less certain on because McCree really came on uh, last season and uh, for for the little chunks that he was there, mm -hmm. and there are some really high hopes around him, uh, but he's a little bit less proven uh, or a little bit less uh, veteran, obviously than than Epps. Yeah. 
Um, and then Jude Wolf just continues to be that guy that I think should be potentially involved. But then every time he's on the field, I'm like, that didn't, yeah. that didn't necessarily go I mean, well. that's the thing. So, is, like I said, I, I tossed out all of the 2021 film for you. I mean, I have some of the games charted, but like, I, I don't care about them because it was so weird. Uh, it was like a dream. Um, but like, <laughs> I, I've got some data on Malcolm Epps because he came from Texas and he's a 2018 guy. Like, I've got some background knowledge about Epps. Um, I've got some background knowledge about Jude Wolf, which I share that assessment where I'm just sort of like, well, why aren't you better? Um, yeah. But I don't know anything about Lake McCree because he was a 2021 guy. He would have been playing as a true freshman last year in games that I didn't care about. And like, you got to, like, Alicia, I'm 100% dependent on you telling me, is Lake McCree a good tight end? He seems like a good receiving tight end. Um, you think he's a good I, blocking tight end? That I, I honestly, I can't remember uh, feeling anything about his blocking. I don't. I'm trying to remember if it was a situation where they weren't asking him to do any of it, or if I just wasn't paying any attention because last year was not worth yeah. paying much attention to anything. <laughs> um, where he flashed was definitely in the receiving game. So and and that's I think when he was coming out of high school, that was sort of the discussion around him was that he was a guy that um, could maybe continue to to bulk up to be more of a of a block type blocker type, but that he where he flashed was in the receiving game. So, but I mean that's the thing is that you know USC doesn't need help catching the ball. You know, like no. they got a million guys <laughs> who can catch the ball. You know, the question is whether they can block. And I, you know, all I was seeing in the spring game was Epson Wolf and. Um, you know, like I said, uh, I'm basing almost 100% of my opinion of USC in 2022 based on that spring game. And like, whoo, boy, the blocking out of those two guys in the spring game, um, I could smell it from Eugene. Like, yikes. Uh, well, see, and that's the concern, right? Because Wolf and Epps are supposed to be the guys that are sort of the more reliable blockers. And mm -hmm. that was also the problem in the past with like Eric Krummenhoek, who was the most right. reliable of the blockers. And that didn't necessarily mean that he was the, you know, doing any, any good on that, on that front. So I guess my question is, will it take longer for them to <laughs> learn the tricks of the trade of, of blocking? Uh, or is this just a, a lost position that's going to be perpetually a situation? I mean, and maybe you guys can tell me like, do the, do the tight ends at Oregon or uh, the other schools that you, that you watch, like, is there an epidemic of tight ends who can't block or is this like just perpetually a USC thing? Cause I know no, it's perpetually a USC I, thing, but no, at least the reason why, like, uh, you know, your, your trademark phrase, uh, tight end touchdown is, uh, you know, you, you enjoy it so much is because a, a do it all tight end is a unicorn. Like, yeah. you know, somebody who can block as well as a tackle and who can catch as well as a, uh, you know, as a wire, like Drake London, like forget it, man. There's, there's maybe 10 of them in the country at any given point. And like Georgia and Iowa hoard all of them. Um, like, you know, I'm actually very excited about Oregon's couple of, uh, you know, a, a sophomore uh tight ends like the sort of the exception like it, you asked if there's an epidemic in the pac-12 and the answer is yes uh you know nobody can can block and affect the, the but that's not unusual it's because that player is extraordinarily rare and you know what's the crazy epidemic is that how many like as adam mentioned i think this is the 10th interview that we're doing like ninth or 10th i think uh uh 
like it is what the crazy epidemic is, is how many different Pac-12 offensive coordinators have gotten installed who are like, I'm going to run a tight end heavy offense with these dudes who like would be playing a wide receiver in the SEC. Like they're like, there's just not enough size and you know blocking acumen to go around uh, on the west coast and it's sort of remarkable to me you know and i can say after you know studying lincoln riley's offense that dude wants to use tight ends for wham blocks um like he wants to like even his pass protection systems like involve uh like a fake um a power block with a tight end slicing under the format like like i said i really enjoyed that film study project and i'm trying to resist like duck splaining the offense <laughs> um but but like I see this as being a problem now. Maybe Lincoln Riley recognizes it and is just like, nope, four wide. I can tell what the problem is here. But like, I could foresee this being a problem um, if these the, guys aren't aren't good blockers. This is my this is my big concern, and this is where sort of I have to lean back into Lincoln Riley tends to know what he's doing. Um, his mm -hmm. track record speaks for for what it is, but. Um, this has been my frustration, and uh, I'm I'm sort of relieved to hear you say, say that everyone else has this issue because I have said for a long time I love tight ends. I absolutely love tight ends. They're like the, the uh, there's nothing more satisfying than a tight end up the seam. But don't put a tight end on the field if you are going to ask him to do something that he can't possibly do. Like well, why Lisa, you're automatically a better offensive coordinator than about eight of Pac-12 schools for I... saying like, if you don't have a good tight end, don't put a tight end on the field. Like that seems to be real difficult for most Pac-12 coaches. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, I guess maybe we're, we're just sort of banking on two things happening. One that Malcolm Epps, Jude Wolf, and, and Lake McCree, because that that's my thing is like Lake McCree was injured this spring, but I can tell you like, he's not the, magic bullet in terms of like he's going to be the guy that comes in and be the the really stout blocker i, I just mm -hmm. don't see that happening well he's like so, 230 you know he's like 20 pounds lighter than the other guys and mm -hmm. he's younger and if he's injured you know those things tend to interfere with you know weight room yeah you know putting it on yeah so <laughs> well i guess we'll see yeah uh all right let's talk about the wide receivers um it, losing uh, quite a bit here uh, obviously drake london uh, uh sadly uh he's, he, to me he looked like he was on course for a blitnikoff season um although it looks like usc gets that one through the back door um <laughs> uh also losing uh katie nixon uh, one of the many colorado transfers who would come in uh, also losing uh brew mccoy and jake smith uh who were texas transfers who came in although i, I don't think i saw them catch the ball at all last year um you know, and Joseph Manjack, you know, basically those last four were, were not catching really the ball at all. Manjack, Nixon, Brew McCoy, Jake Smith. Um, it was really just the Drake London show, but but losing Drake London still constitutes losing about like 50 percent of their passing production, you know, and and 75 percent of the fun. Um, yeah, losing losing Drake London's huge. Replacing him with Jordan Addison is is huge in a different way because they're, they're not the same receiver. No, they're not. Uh, and uh, and and that's fine, but but it it really I mean the sheer number of transfers that they brought in for this room tells you that like the guys that left, with the exception of Brew McCoy, because his situation was a, a off the field um, situation. Oh, oh, Brew McCoy had something weird going on. You don't say. You don't say. Yeah, yeah. There's always something with that dude. Um, but the the rest of the guys, I think, were sort of reading the signs on the wall that like they yeah. were not in future plans. So um, the losses outside of, uh, of of McCoy, I next next to um, next to Drake London, the biggest loss in in the receiving game was really Michael Trigg, right. uh, the the tight end that left. So 
um, it's a, it, it's going to be really interesting to see the way that this that this room all shakes out because you do get you know we probably upgraded the room quite a bit uh, d- despite losing um, a like you said Bolitnikov level receiver like all time all time great receiver in, in my view from yeah. from in terms of a dominance perspective um, and yet weirdly this this season you come in and you think this receiver room across the board is probably better than it was last year, uh, which is I, a weird place to be in. No, I, I mean, I, I agree. Um, well, and I agree with the way that you framed it, that like you can interpret, you know, all the takes through the transfer portal as a referendum on the returners. Um, you know, so just let, let's run down the returners. Um, there's uh, Taj Washington who had transferred in from uh, from Memphis. You know, I think he was the second leading receiver. Um, there was, uh, Gary Bryant, who's, uh, you know, uh, a shorter, he was a slot guy. I think he was being held out of the spring game. I didn't see him in the spring game, but I think he, yeah, he got injured, injured yeah. in, in spring. Yeah. Can you, what's his status? Can you tell me? Uh, he should be good to go for, for okay. fall. It was just, a I think it was like a hamstring or something like that. Uh, there's, they're returning Kyle Ford, um, who they were using a lot, um, in the spring game. I think he might have a, like an expanded role in, or potentially in Lincoln Riley's offense that didn't really exist in Graham Harrell's offense. Um, although there are just so many, you know, good wide receivers here, like maybe that doesn't really change. Um, and, uh, and I think the other notable, there's a couple other guys too, who I think were sort of stop gaps because as you and I had been commenting on for a while, like, um, USC's wide receiver room was weirdly thin for uh, an air raid team. And I think they were sort of shoving some three stars into this room um, to like to handle that. And I, you know, I I think that that is not what the situation that they're looking at right now. So, you know, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it, but there was one guy that they got in the 2021 class who I think is uh, pretty promising. And I was seeing all over the spring game and that's Kyron Ware Hudson, um, Mm -hmm. the brother of the defensive lineman who's at Oregon. Um, what do you think about that guy? You know, I, you only got two catches last year, but like, I, I think his ceiling's pretty high. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think there's a huge amount of excitement about him. I, th- I think he he is is a guy who, like, if you looked at the depth chart right now, you think maybe he might be a little bit buried. But as the season progresses and things shake out, I wouldn't be surprised if he was up there. Um, maybe not as like maybe not a star. I wouldn't expect him to be a starter this year, but he's still pretty young in his in his career. Um, he was really bright in high school, so. Uh, that like him being sort of where he, where I would imagine him being on the depth chart is more of a reflection of the sort of transfer targets that they've brought in and, and the way that this room has sort of developed than anything, um, in terms of what he can or can't accomplish at this point. I think, I think he has a bright future. He just needs to work his way into it. He's, yeah. he's not one of those guys that was going to step right in and, you know, beat the freshman involved i mean the nice thing about the guy is still he's still got you know four to play three remaining like you know we're we're about to talk about all these transfers who come in you know like jordan addison was a 2020 guy you know his he's probably gone to the nfl after this season right like Mm -hmm. terrell bynum's gonna run out of from the washington transfer who i really just think is a possession receiver to be you know perfectly like i I hope that like my my hatred of washington and usc (laughs) is not does not you know come through the microphone but like uh I, I promise that's not what's going on. I just really think that he's a possession receiver and that's about it. But like my point is he's a redshirt senior from 2017. Yeah. He's gone after this season, you know, uh, uh, Brennan Rice, the transfer from Colorado, who again, like I actually think that guy is flash, you know, he's Jerry Rice's kid for a reason. Um, Cause, 
Jerry Rice's father. That's the reason. Uh, but yeah. like <laughs> you, you can see that he inherited some of that. Um, you know, uh, 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 but like he's a 2020 guy. You know, he's probably gone relatively soon. You know, like with the exception of Mario Williams, you know, the 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 true sophomore who they got from Oklahoma, which you know, obviously, um, Caleb Williams. You know, that's throwing that guy, you know, the ball a bunch of times. Um, like you know, probably not going to have like a, a lot of these these transfers are sort of stop gaps and you're not going to yes. see him for very long and that's why i sort of i wanted to talk about kyron Weir hudson um and, and uh is that like i feel like that guy's the future you know and that you might want to start throwing you know that guy the ball sort of like plan for 2023 you know what i mean yeah it's it's hard to say though because the recruiting um for 2023 includes guys who are that freshman all-american type like mm -hmm. zach branch is coming in next year makai lemon is coming in next year so like yes i think kyron kyron Ware hudson is definitely part of the future but i don't think he is the future i think you look at it and you you expect you know next year and, and the year down the line for guys like cj williams the the incoming freshman um from the class of 2022 and then zach branch and makai lemon and like those like sort of five-star level guys that USC is going to start um, drawing back in theoretically. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean, they did just miss out on, on Brandon Enos who went to, uh, to Ohio state. So like they're not recruiting at the level that like, Ohio state is at this point, but no one is uh, at the wide receiver spot. But like, I think the, the, the idea is more to rebuild. I think that you're right that these transfer guys are sort of stop gaps but that already the reinforcements are coming in the future uh, for, for next, just next year where suddenly you're going to lose Jordan Addison and, and maybe Brendan Rice and maybe one, you know, maybe Tosh Washington goes, or maybe Garen Bryant Jr. Goes. Um, but then you're backfilling with Karen Ware Hudson, CJ Williams, uh, Zach Branch, Makai Lemon, all of those guys suddenly coming through and being your front of the line guys. Yeah. And um, the, the talent level, I think from the uh, the freshman coming in next year is, is definitely more uh, flashy, but this will be I think this will be where Hudson's year to sort of put himself in position to be to step into that next sort of uh, front line. Of, uh, of the receiver talent but it is remarkable like it really you know does look like the 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 portal show i mean hell there's there's an unrated you know portal guy out of uh, virginia brain outlaw we haven't even mentioned yet and, and they only took one uh true freshman cj williams um mm -hmm. who's a you know a high four star um yeah you know the, the it, they're they ain't lacking for talent uh in 2022 it's hard to imagine them screwing up you know hell they could draw names out of the hat and and be the west best wide receiver core on the west coast like you know the question is not really 2022 it's sort of going forward it's like how yeah. does the roster management work here because like anytime you're filling gaps with portal guys you're sort of like you're, you're sort of creating you know you're solving problems right now but maybe you're creating some problems down the road and and you know we we will have to see how lincoln riley manages that it is an interesting question um and yeah the the, the recruiting you know that just the the prep recruiting alone is like this has sort of been USC's pattern for a long time now is that, you know, they go after a supremely talented dude and like, you know, three such guys and they don't do the, like the, the, the high K strategy where it's like, we're going to take 30 dudes, you know, and some of them will yeah. work out. Like they really go after a particular guy. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and th that backfires sometimes when mm -hmm. you have that particular guy that you sort of banked everything on, um, 
doesn't work out for whatever reason. We've seen that with uh, you know Joseph Lewis. Kyle Ford was one of those guys who hopefully uh, is able to finally live up to to expectation. He's had two you know huge knee injuries. So yeah, last year was uh, that was one I was going to say one of the exciting things in the final few games of last season was finally getting to see Kyle Ford start to make a play or two. Um, so he's a guy I think to watch out for because he's had a long, long road with those knee injuries and, and it will be interesting to see if he's able to sort of regain some of that shine that he had in the past. Um, but, uh, you, when you're, when you're going after these sort of high five-star guys and you can't bring in a million of them, you really need them to hit. And so when they don't hit, you are in trouble. Um, and that's that USC has gotten into that position a couple times. So, all right, let's talk about the offensive line. Um, we sort of pre- preview this extensively uh, at the top, but um, a couple of losses here. Uh, the on the right side of the line, Lehman Jimmins, the right guard, and Jalen McKenzie, the right tackle. Um, I gotta be honest, I was never super wild about those guys, but they were starters. Um, uh, also a bunch of departures from guys who might have been, you know, backups or, or in the mix. Um, although, you know, I don't know realistically, you know, how good any of these guys were. Uh, so Frank Martin, um, the other Liam, Liam Douglas, uh, Ty Buchanan, uh, Casey Collier, um, and then a few, uh, you know, unranked guys, uh, you know, Bernard Shermer, sort of, he had a weird Juco story about hitting a ref. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, so yeah, like I, I count including the, the unrated dudes, um, you know, I count nine departures from the offensive line room. It's, it's kind of a lot. And it's, and it's a weird situation because it felt a little bit like the wide receiver purge mm-hmm. of like, you are not part of the the future here. I think maybe the exception to that is Casey Collier, who was a guy that USC brought in as like a. I think he had dealt with some injuries in in high in um, high school and sort of had the he's just a huge body that I think USC was sort of hoping to to find a diamond in the rough on um, and we never really got to see him uh, develop to the point where that that could come true uh, but uh, but it, it felt very much like a purge of you're not part of the future except that unlike with the wide receiver room there were no transfers to sort of fill those gaps. So on the one hand, yeah, everyone who left was not essential. On the other hand, um, it kind of feels like everybody in USC's (laughs) offensive line room is essential. Like there's just not enough of them. Yeah. It just, there's just no bodies. There just are, are no bodies. And, and, um, that's I don't know how you necessarily solve that problem because yeah. uh, like, like I said no great losses in there unless you you get a rash of injuries and then okay now what yeah. was the difference what what's the difference between starting dead weight on your roster versus like walk-ons on your roster I'm I, there's diminishing returns there yeah so um it looked like in the spring game what they were doing was moving um uh, uh, Voorhees, uh, who was last year's left tackle, moving him, uh, I think back to guard because he was a guard in the past, I believe. So he, he was a guard, um, and he sort of they sort of moved him out to left tackle, uh, to fill sort of gaps once Elijah Tucker and, and all them left. So his natural position is left guard. Okay, yeah, that's what I figured. So, you know, I I, I approve of that move, uh, if, if anybody cares about my opinion. Uh, Brett Nealon, for some reason, is still the center. I, that guy seems, like, real old now. Yeah. Um, uh, 
Justin Dietrich, who I think should be the center, is not the center, but has been playing right guard. Uh, he was left guard last year. They moved him over to the right. Um, and that means that the two new guys are both tackles. Um, it's Cortland Ford uh, on the left and Juna Monheim on the right. Uh, I remember we saw some of Ford in 2020 um, as a true freshman when he was playing some rotational time. Um do you think those five that we saw with the ones um, in the spring game are those five your starters? Um, it, it really depends on what Bobby Haskins does when he comes in, when he That's when he's the able transfer to, from to Virginia, the transfer from Virginia um, in a perfect world. Bobby Haskins slots into left tackle mm-hmm. and then Ford and Monheim battle it out slash uh, uh, sort of uh, ro- rotate at right tackle or it frees up Monheim to be the sort of sixth utility man. So you have Ford at right tackle and then Monheim, which can, who can play pretty much every position across the way uh, can fill in. So like in an ideal world, that's your six. Uh, if Bobby Haskins can't come in, then uh, yes, that's definitely the five. And, and they're really, there really is not any other option. Like yeah. that's, that's just, that's, the five and i don't know that there if if bobby haskins isn't in there then i don't know that there is a six that you can depend on what's the uh, you know bobby haskins is listed on the roster which typically means that he was available for spring but i wasn't seeing him in spring practice he, he's injured story? he was he was coming oh, off of an injury he's going through okay. rehab yeah and and we're just not we're we're not certain whether or not he will be uh, of playable health and and well-being by the fall he should be good for the fall um it's just one of those things where like I'm always a little bit nervous about uh, guys who are are coming through rehab and and working out things. Cortland Ford is listed at 305 pounds. Um, I think that's a lie. Uh, he looks <laughs> much lighter than that. Do you think I'm crazy? Um, I I don't know that you're crazy. I I I think a lot of weights are lies. <laughs> <laughs> I just. <laughs> Uh, some some guys you look at and you're like no he's he's maybe 190 he's not two 210 um, mine on my driver's license is a lot yeah so I, I... <laughs> yeah but you know he's also you know six six maybe he just looks a little thin i'm yeah. uh, a little slim i'm not sure i i um i, I gotta say I, I wasn't really wowed by his blocking in the spring game um i i was sort of i, I you know, I understand the Haskins situation uh, now, but like, boy, I'd be worried if that's the best option at left tackle, you know? Yeah. Well, and that's part of what I, part of what I wonder uh, is if they weren't expecting Bobby Haskins to come in and be the left tackle, if Voorhees would just already be there. Mm -hmm. Um, Not that that's like a, a, a perfect situation, but you're right when, when you're talking left tackle, like, you know, maybe want someone a little bit more um reliable but ford has has shown flashes of like of of potential but again he's he's uh sort of younger still going through the the rigmarole of the state of usc's offensive line coaching and scheme and all of that kind of stuff so i'm not sure um what his sort of ceiling looks like uh but the floor on pretty much everybody is low enough that it's concerning. Yeah. So um, they, re- I mean, at like I said, if not Bobby Haskins, there is no other really good option at left tackle unless you want to move Voorhees over. 
Yeah, I mean, I I guess that's a possibility. Um, I mean, he was playing the position last year, but then the question is, like, you know, I don't, I, I don't see anybody who I'd be really comfortable, you know, putting in in, in the guard spot, uh, you know. Well, like, and that's yeah, and and this is the the perennial problem, right? So, if uh, if there's an injury and Voorhees needs to slide out to left tackle, um, at left guard, you go with Jason Rodriguez, maybe or, but that's I mean, he's he's even a guy who's still trying to figure out his like body type and everything like that. Like, I don't know that I want to see Gino Canones playing extensive minutes for USC. Um, yeah. I, know. I mean, that, that was the thing that was remarkable. I was trying, I was trying to solve this puzzle too, ba based on watching the spring game. And it was like, I was surprised that Canones, cause that that's what I figured is that if there was a problem that the Voorhees would slide back to left tackle. And then, so I was watching the left guard spot really closely. And what they put in, you know, in the, with the twos was Quinones, who's like 285 pounds. Like, and yeah. even that I think is also a lie. Like, I, I think he's probably more like 270, which like, that's not a guard weight. Um, and then with this, with the, the third rotation, I was the left guard. I was watching Rodriguez who like, you're right. I, I think he is still struggling with his size, but that was a 2019 recruit. Like when's this, do, you know, it's been three years, buddy, like figure yeah. it out. Yeah. I, I mean, part of it, I think is that the USC has had like, you know, will be like five offensive line coaches in the last five years. Like, and they've changed offensive line sort of like philosophy and scheme yeah. and recruiting and all. That. So yeah, it's just, it, it, that's, that's the root of all the problems is that they haven't been able to hold on to an offensive line coach. They've changed things up too much. They've recruited bodies that are based on completely different like criteria. They've, it, it just, you know, I, and then it becomes a very difficult task to fit guys in. Uh, yeah. so I, <laughs> this conversation is, is, is highlighting for me exactly what, like I'm, I am sitting here looking at the, at the rosters thinking like, okay, how could I rearrange this? And it's like, um, sort of taking like pieces, scrabble pieces and just sort of like spinning them around. Cause I'm like, no, that's not a word. No, that's not a word. No, no. Uh, is that a word? No, it's not a word. Like. Yeah, I, I did the exact same exercise and and actually the exact same metaphor occurred to me like it's very it's very difficult to assemble if if Haskins isn't available and or just isn't the guy that we sort of expect him to be like I understand that he played extensively at Virginia but like I don't know man the ACC anyway the uh, <laughs> like you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not real happy with the five starters in the spring game. I'm, I Haskins to me is still a question mark. And if there's anybody who's unavailable, like I, I can't find, I mean, like, you know, there, the, the other left tackle was a redshirt freshman, you know, Mason Murphy, right? Like, um, yeah. I, you know, I have questions about Andrew Millick snapping the ball with the, with the twos. Like, um, although I think they'd probably solve that with just putting D ditch in, but like, yes. but um, you run into the same problem of if Nealon's out, you put D ditch over this over to center and then who do you throw in at right guard? Right. Um, <laughs> you know, it to the point where I understood a hundred percent why they were putting, you know, Joe Bryson, the, 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 the walk on division two, you mm -hmm. know, transfer in, you know, playing right tackle playing right tackle and i mean that was you know like miller you know poor miller moss i felt like i didn't really get a a, a great um look at him in the spring game you know because like you know the right side of the line was constantly collapsing um because mm -hmm. he he had the twos protecting him and they weren't protecting him like uh you know it, it sort of makes it you know and and you know I, again i again i i'm doing my best to resist the ducks playing the the oklahoma offense thing but like <laughs> you know this is i feel like there's a big misconception about you know big 12 offenses and guys who come off of the mike leach you know trees like oh it's just this quick pass 
passing offense and the offensive line doesn't really matter. And the ball just instantly out of the guy's hands. And so who cares, you know, if the offensive line can protect or not. And it's like the, the nothing could be further from the truth about Lincoln Riley's offense. It is extremely offensive line intensive. They are doing power blocking. They are doing complex RPO pulls. Even the pass protection scheme has fake power pulls, uh, in it like it is a it is a very demanding scheme it was you know watching it oklahoma was a real treat because those were you know i was watching blue chips you know and i was watching him do like a really you know intensive scheme and then i you know i turn on the usc spring game and i'm like this isn't oklahoma's line i'd be real worried yeah yeah well and and that's and the other thing is that oklahoma has had their own issues um with uh, you know getting getting their offensive line to be sort of at the at the level that compete on a national level at times and part of that sure. might be just recruiting and stuff like that but again they have Bill Binbo who's like an established figure for years running the show uh and right now USC is is taking a skeleton crew at offensive line and giving Lincoln Riley a new offensive line coach who I'm not actually sure how super familiar he is with the concepts that 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 yeah, the, this offense is gonna is gonna be trying to throw his way, and he has to juggle, an, I think, an impossible situation. So, uh, it's um, it's I I just keep coming back to it's it's gonna be fascinating. It's gonna be very interesting, and and it's also gonna be you know maybe it's a one of those things where guys are gonna rise to the occasion and figure out the uh the the way to sort of patch this up with duct tape and and string or whatever. But uh, when, if or when things go wrong, the one, the one thing I'm sort of looking at is that, like, well, I've seen USC have miserably bad offensive lines, and the five-star talent can uh, can occasionally get them through it. So it might just be a situation where, like, suffer through it for for a year or two, like, suffer through until yeah. a real solution can come around. Because yeah, I mean, it, it wouldn't be a novel situation for USC to be in, like, five-star yeah. talent at, at the wide receiver, but the offensive line can't protect, you know, a pretty good quarterback. Like, you know, that's, that's that difficult. was the entire Clay Helton era, you know, yes. and, and what was the results? It was a bunch of eight and four, you know, type of seasons. And, mm-hmm. and like, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but, you know, you know, USC's got to play Notre Dame every year, you know, like the uh, UCLA is on the schedule every year. Utah's on the schedule every year like uh you know Arizona State is a you know dumpster fire but the one good thing <laughs> about them is their defensive line yeah. um they've got to play you know Fresno State you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> who beat UCLA last year you know st- actually Stanford's defensive line stinks never mind but uh you know like yeah it's an Achilles heel like there's no you know, it is if something goes wrong for USC's offense, it'll be this and it won't surprise anybody like, you know. Yeah. I, I I well, and that and, and that's one of the, the things that I tried to make a point on, on on our last podcast was basically just like like you can make it through six, seven, eight games with a patchwork offensive line and, and your talent will will carry you through. But the one game where your defense gives up 45 points your offensive line getting worked and your, you know, your, the the Caleb Williams and Jordan Addison partnership only able to put up 30 points, which would still be quite good uh, with a, with a disaster offensive line, you're going to lose those games. And so like a lot of it also comes down to USC doesn't have very much wiggle room on defense to allow like the offense to always be the one that carries them. Because when you do play Utah, you are going to be very limited in what you're able to do just because you have to go into every game thinking you're going to be somewhat outmatched. 
on the uh, on the offensive line. And so then all of the other, that puts pressure on all of the other positions to not have that be the the night when they uh, when they drop the ball, as it yeah. were. All right, let's switch over and talk about the defense then. Alex Grinch is a relatively controversial figure in football. Where do you land on the guy, Alicia? I just my memory of Alex Grinch was always that he was that he was like I I always looked at it and thought he I would love to have him be USC's defensive one defensive coordinator like what he did at Washington State I always thought was super impressive like it felt like he was one of the sort of top names and then I looked more into it and I realized like okay so he's one of those guys who's like either or either it's you hold someone to 14 points or you give up 45 points um, which is exactly what sort of one of my points has been about this season like just this this defense will give up 45 points multiple times this season like be prepared for that um but i think he's got to be an upgrade on todd orlando he's got to be an upgrade on uh clancy Clancy pendergast so um although those two were also guys who were 14 or 45 kind of coaches this this is true but like the sheer number of 14 or 45 is is maybe what i'm what i'm banking on so um i don't think it's going to be that different from what i'm sort of used to seeing from a usc defense on from the from the sort of macro perspective of like this defense will be really fun to watch until they're not and uh Hmm. and all i'm looking for is if uh, if Alex Grinch can get more out of the linebacker core than we've seen from the last two defensive coordinators, then I will be happy. So uh, the defensive, let's start with the defensive line. Uh, this looked like every Alex Grinch, Alex Grinch defense that I've you know been watching at, at Wazoo and Ohio State and Oklahoma. You know, it's basically a three down front with an outside linebacker. So you know, you categorize it as a three three five, but it's you know maybe better understood as a four. Um, the uh, um, uh, the, here, here's the interesting thing is that this is also a room where hundred percent of the additions are transfer portal guys. Um, uh, there are zero, as far as I can tell, um, uh, freshmen who were recruited to this position. Um, however, I think they're going to stick with the, um, with the returners, uh, is, is sort of my guess. Um, they lose, uh, I should say Jacob Linksenstein, um, who was a, you know, rotational guy last year. Uh, they also lose, um, uh, two guys who didn't play, uh, Mananoa Tufono and, uh, uh, Ishmael Shopsher, the, uh, the, mm-hmm. the Bama transfer who, who just didn't play and then transferred out again. Um, did I miss anybody who's leaving? I believe that's everybody. Okay. Yeah. Um, the additions are, uh, again, all from the transfer portal. Solomon Berg from Wyoming, uh, Earl Barquette from um, TCU, uh, Tyrone Teleni from Kansas State, uh, Sinjin Astani um, from uh, San Jose State. Did I, did I get everybody? I I think so. But again, <laughs> again <laughs> I yeah. feel like there's new new names that come up every time. So I'm trying to keep them all straight. That looks right to me. The returners, um, in order, to, the, the returners uh, who, who played last year, uh, Tuli Tulipoto, um, who I've always liked, uh, Stanley Taofo, uh, am I pronouncing that guy's name right? I have, I learned how to tr- pronounce it one summer and then promptly messed mm. it up every time. It's, so, it's got two apostrophes in it. So yeah, it's, like, um, it's, it's Taofu or something like that. Yeah, who I agree with you is probably you know going to be the nose, although he's a little undersized for it. Um, yeah. Nick Figueroa, uh, um, who's been around for a while, uh, Jamar Sakona, um, and then now we're getting sort of the backups: John Benton, um, Colin Mobley, Kobe Pepe, and Brandon Peely are both back, but I think those guys were injured last year. Peely was injured last year. Um, he I, he 
he has been around forever, but he has dealt with injuries and other sort of personal stuff. So he's getting his his sort of swan song here um, after uh, missing most of the last two seasons with injury. Uh, I was surprised that it was Pepe injured. I was surprised I wasn't seeing him last year because he's a big guy. You know, I think he might have had a couple little little knocks, but I don't remember any big injury to him. I think he just wasn't seeing a lot of time. I, I guess, I, you know, the, the interesting thing, like I said, is that all the new guys are transfers. But unlike, you know, say the wide receiver room where they just got everybody's best player, um, you know, these guys are, you know, it's it's a two star from Wyoming. It's a low three star from K state. It's a two star from San Jose state. You know, um, I, I feel like the returners jobs are relatively secure and that those guys were just about the, the transfer guys were just about adding depth and that I would sort of expect it's Tui Pelotu and Taofu and Figueroa and, you know, Sakona Peely and that, that, uh, you know, Benton actually was playing a lot during the spring game, uh, even though he didn't play much last year. And they're really just adding like Barquet and Teleni, um, to, to backfill. Uh, do you think I'm wrong about that? No, I think you're absolutely right. And, uh, and I think that like what they were, what they've done on the defensive line is what I wish they had been able to pull off on the offensive line as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is basically, like you said, get the sort of, um, Grab any defensive lineman that you can grab because you need the bodies, and uh, maybe you'll get uh, some some sort of rotational deal from from some of them. Maybe you'll get a true diamond in the rough. You never know, but more than anything, you just need those bodies in there. So um, you're you're sort of banking on on that. And and realistically, unlike the wide receiver room where you look at the transfers and go like these are upgrades in the de- in the on the defensive line, it's like. No, these these are probably the same caliber of of guys that USC's has had sort of filling out their depth for the last few years. But you have to have those bodies in there, so you work with them. I think I think Figueroa and Tupelo two are absolutely uh, ahead of the pack. And then Stanley, uh, ideally, I think what would happen is Brandon Peely would get back fully good to go. That's what I was thinking too. Um... Just from a size and and also he, he's very athletic. He I think he just has more to him than more of a ceiling than than Stanley does. So um I think reliability might be the reason that uh Taofu is is it with the first team there. Mm-hmm. In a perfect world, Peely would take over that spot. The last thing that I'm sort of curious about uh, with the defensive line is that a lot of this unit is, is especially with all the portal guys, um, is getting pretty long in the tooth, right? Like, I think mm-hmm. all of the portal guys in are upperclassmen. Um, you know, uh, Figueroa was a 2017 guy originally. Uh, Peely was a 2017 guy. Um, uh, Tofu was 2019. Uh, uh, Benton was 2019. Like, you know, what's this room? I know we're sort of getting ahead of ourselves here. It's just remarkable to me that they didn't take any freshmen in the class and like I sort of feel like there's going to be a lot of losses at the end of this season and and whenever that's the case I wonder about coaches sort of managing that in advance and trying to get young players more reps um what do you think am I off base here or or what's going you know this sort of looks like a big roster management um you know nightmare going forward not necessarily for 2022 but like going forward yeah yeah well I mean I wonder if the plan is to do another transfer reset next yeah. year. Um, just sort of bring in any defensive lineman that you can find that's that's interested, uh, because you're right there. There really aren't reinforcements coming in. Um, 
even the class of 2023, there's there's a couple, but they're not like the come in and be a starter right away type bodies that that you could maybe rely on, which I mean are, are incredibly hard to find on the defensive line anyways. Uh, so I don't know that that's something you want to bank on, uh, you know, just as as like what your plan is. I, I think the, the the situation definitely has to be bide time by continuing to to bring in more uh, more defensive linemen via the transfer portal until you can start to hit um, some of your defensive line recruiting. But that's one of the I think one of the frustrations that USC fans have had over the last few years is that you know USC has hit on a on a few really sort of key like highly star rated guys, but not necessarily the interior defensive mm-hmm. line guys um you know like Tuli Tupelotu has sort of become the 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 best player on this defensive line but he was he was sort of a uh he was the brother of Marlon Tupelotu Marlon mm-hmm. Tupelotu was it was a much more highly touted recruit than his brother was um they haven't necessarily hit on the elite top defensive line guys part yeah. of that is because it's difficult um in sort of the region because yeah absolutely the, the you got to tell me yeah you guys you guys have this same problem too um but uh but one of the things that set the USC uh sort of under Pete Carroll era apart was the ability to go into um go across the country and pick up those like really outstanding yeah. defensive linemen that that really built those those defenses and so until USC can do that I'm not sure what um what sort of expectations are uh, on that front? Because, yeah, well, you're right. I mean, it's just there's no four star. You know, with with Tifono and Sapsher uh, transferring out, like there's no four stars in the room. Which, like, yeah. can you, uh, it's hard to imagine a USC unit that has no four stars in it. It's entirely comprised of three stars and and even a couple of two stars. Um, you know, with the transfers in and like. But, you know, Arizona State, for example, on the offensive line has had this like this portal treadmill thing, and like I. I I, I don't love it. You know, I, again, I, I think that USC's offensive or excuse me, defensive line in 2022 is going to be fine. But like I, I, I when the instant you said, yeah, they'll just do another wave of portal guys. I'm just like, yeah. oh, man, you don't want to be on that. You don't want to no, be no, on no. That, you, that treadmill. You absolutely don't want to. But at the same time, like I just looked at the uh, 2023 recruiting class uh, rankings for California the highest rated defensive lineman, not edge guy, because USC has always recruited the edge sure. pretty pretty well. Um, defensive line, the highest rated is is uh, Cameron Brandt, who's 428th nationally. Like, mm-hmm. and he's 6'4", 260. Like, he's not ready to go right now. So that's uh, that's the and and USC does have the one big guy, uh, Amos Talele, who just re- committed to USC, uh, who's 6'5", 330 ranked 517th so like he's not one of the he's a three-star guy big body obviously nice pickup for usc but he's not going to come in and and you know fix the issue right but i mean that's why that's why earlier i was bothering you about kobe pepe you know you you know supposedly unremarkable i looked him up guy but like you know that was a 2020 recruit with a bunch of eligibility left 62220 like that guy that guy ought to be the future at usc instead i got goose egg on his stat total and if so he wasn't tw- injured, like, ugh. In 2021, he had a shoulder injury, and so season-ending. And then, mm-hmm. twenty sorry, 2020, he had a shoulder season-ending shoulder injury. And then 2021, he was sort of limited coming back during the offseason from that. So, um, 
I think there's a there's possibly a universe because uh, Kobe Pepe when he came out of high school was like this guy this guy could be really really good like he was a little bit a little bit underrated in terms of recruiting um, was the perception of him but uh, but with the injury and stuff like that he's still pretty young in his career so this this might be his chance but again it, it's it's you know Jamar Sakona Kobe Pepe guys who might have something about them but they have not shown anything yeah. that suggests that they are going to be ready to to take over they also have been sitting behind sort of the older guys on that defensive line that were more trusted for a long time so yeah. it could just be a situation of uh of earning trust and and breaking through but yeah you're right I, if those guys if those guys don't pan out next year um yeah it could just be another transfer wave yeah, I know. Well, it's, I mean, that is the or reason. Or they'll why transfer we, themselves. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, they already lost two, uh, three to the transfer portal, um, mm -hmm. you know, this last year. So, yeah, no, I just, I, I wonder, you know, whenever I see situations like this, it makes me wonder about, like, does the potential, does the coming roster management nightmare at this unit impact the way that you rotate guys? And so, you know, maybe you're not inclined to play Jamar Sakona or Kobe Pepe, who are 20, 10, 20 guys, but then you look and say, oh, I need to get those guys reps right away like jonathan smith at oregon state if he was looking at this you better believe that he'd be playing sakona and pepe a lot you know to get them ready for next year and like will usc's new coaches do something like that i don't know it's one of the mysteries that we're we're all gonna find out together you know? yeah <laughs> yes exactly uh, i also want to point out that um on the defensive line they've moved solomon tulia pupu mm-hmm over to um to uh the i think the defensive end spot technically yeah right, that's um, where i have him categorized too yeah yeah so um that might tell you something too about just some of the situation with the defensive line is that i mean this is a linebacker who has been perennial perennially injured but like mm -hmm. if they're starting to rely on him as a sort of defensive end they're starting to sort of scrape the bottle of 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 bottom of, of what they're trying to sort of experiment with um because he's i just i'm i'm fascinated by this experiment well yeah no we've talked about him a bunch of times is like you know you know you can see the the rare moments where you get to see the guy um you know yeah you know you can be an exciting player and in fact in the spring game he was playing with all you know all three the, the ones the twos and the threes you know i was yeah. seeing him pretty extensively he's he's 58 right yeah yeah you usc doesn't put the name plates on the jerseys for reasons nope. that are totally not cringy um <laughs> <laughs> uh, let, let's talk about those edge guys, um, or, or outside linebackers, whatever they are. You, 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 it is easy to recognize them in Alex Grinch's system. Um, they're not quite defensive linemen. They're not quite linebackers. They're kind of both. Um, I was actually seeing uh, a quite a bit of rotation, um, in the spring game. Uh, I'm not sure, uh, what the best options are. You know, there, there's the guy, well, let's, let's recount the departures first. Um, Drake Jackson, uh, is leaving. I always love that guy. Um, Hunter Eccles, uh, transferred, um, to a different Pac-12 school who are, I think he's going to kick ass at that new school actually. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, uh, Juliano Falanico also transferred out, uh, Elijah Winston, um, uh, who was playing in the spring game, you know, transferred and actually pretty extensively in the spring game, transferred out after the spring game. Uh, did I miss anybody? I believe that's it for the rush. 
Okay. Um, they took one uh, true freshman, Devin Tompkins, who's a, a high three star, uh, but he was in, uh, on campus for spring. I, I'm not really expecting to see him. Um, they took a transfer from Auburn, uh, who you mentioned earlier, Romello Height, um, who I was number two, right? Um, I, was, I was seeing him a lot in the spring game. I was seeing Corey Foreman, uh, the, the number zero, the, you know, the, 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 five star you know that oregon usc went to the wire for um and uh i think oklahoma state was probably or ohio state was involved in that a little bit too um uh and then tuli pupu as you say you know sort of converted i think this is like the third position he might be playing for usc over the, the length of his career um yep. and then i think there's only one other dude in the room uh taylor katoa um, who was another 2018 guy who's a mid three star. I was seeing him play with the twos. I think that's it. I think that's the room. Those, those four, the, the three returners, Foreman, Tulia Pupu and Katoa, the transfer height and the freshman Tompkins. Uh, I think that's it. Yes. Um, what's your projection for the room? Well, it's gotta be Romello height and Corey Foreman, um, yeah. as the, as the two go-tos, uh, the, Romello Height is again, like I mentioned, he's the shiny new, um, shiny new toy who looks the part. Absolutely, uh, Corey Foreman is the you know five star stud that you really want to come on and be an absolutely disruptive force, but hasn't really gotten used that way yet. Uh, so this could be a, a, an interesting push and pull d- depending on when they decide or what situations they decide to deploy either of those guys. Um, it's one of those situations where like you sit back and go like, why isn't Corey Foreman the unquestioned starter at this point? Like, I know he's just a sophomore, but like it feels like he should be just an unquestioned starter. But if Romello height is, is sort of outranking him, is that because height is that good? Or is it because Foreman is still um, maybe a little bit unreliable or just schematically not in tune, Uh, maybe a little bit undisciplined, so uh, those are the two that I'm I'm really interested in seeing. But the the defensive coaches seem to really really love Vermelo Height. So, well, it's you know you understood why they took the tra- like you can't just infer f- merely from the fact that they took a transfer that there's some problem with Corey Foreman because the room's just not big enough. Like it, they yeah. they needed an extra body. You know that that um, you know doesn't necessarily mean anything. However, yeah, I, I have to say I, I agree with that take. Um, you know, about like, you know, why was height, you know, uh, if you have Corey Foreman and Corey Foreman is the guy you think he is, then like everybody else should be sitting on the bench all the time. Um, and that's not what was happening. Um, and it sort of makes me think it, the staff at least has some concerns that Foreman's not ready to be that dude yet. Um, I don't know. I, I, I can't ask you for any more input than that, but like, it's one of those that, you know, yet again, it's a scheme change, you know, it's entirely yeah. possible that this fits him better than Orlando's scheme. Um, but it's one of these where we're just going to have to wait and see. And that the indicators so far are not, this is Corey Foreman's Heisman season. You know, th- yeah. those are not the indicators that we're getting. Um, I mean, it could be, but uh, we haven't gotten that indication yet. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, it, and it, it might just be a situation where he has to sort of, go out there and, and brew it and and make himself the kind of player that you can't take off the field. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, that could happen within, you know, the first month of the season, or it could just be a situation where he's, he's not there yet. And uh, maybe they experiment with his positioning as well. Um, Cause that's one of the other things that he's sort of been moved around and it's no one's quite sure, you know, where will he thrive the best if he's sort of inside or 
or in that rush position or wherever they want to fit him. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the inside back. Running back. That'd be yeah. <laughs> I I wouldn't doubt it. Um uh inside backers. Uh losing uh one of last year's starters, Kanai Malga. Um he'd been for around for a while. Uh losing Raymond Scott, who's one of the backups, um, uh, losing a couple other uh depth guys, um uh, Kalana Macaula and uh, Jordan Yosefa. I know you you'd lamented Jordan Yosef and never really getting to see the field and he didn't last year um too. It's unfortunate how injured that guy was um i think those are the four departures i miss anybody yeah i believe that's uh that's about it it was interesting trying to judge this from the uh from the spring game because there were some late there were some additions after the spring game you know ended so they only took one um freshman in the 2022 class garrison madden um, but he's not going to arrive in the until the fall that guy's a low or excuse me a mid three star i I sort of don't expect he's going to play right away they're they're banking on him he's incredibly fast yes so that that's i think they're just that speed they're just going to see what he can do okay interesting uh well we'll keep an eye on that one for the future but do you agree that that guy's probably not going to play in 2020 no he's a developmental yeah uh, probably a couple years before he starts to factor in maybe maybe a, a special teams guy with with speed so the um, the returners here, uh, Raylan Goforth and Chris Thompson, um, I think Goforth, you know, you could argue he was it's actually a little difficult to tell, for, but I think he was a starter last year. Um, yes. There's Chris Thompson, the Auburn, who had previously transferred in from Auburn. Um, he looked like he was playing some rotational minutes um, and a couple other guys uh, who uh, didn't get a lot of play and were playing with the twos in the spring game uh, to CB Nomura, uh, Rajon Davis, uh, Julian Simon. Um, they took an unranked, uh, unrated player from Colorado, Clyde Moore, who I was seeing with the threes. Um, you know, I, I think that Goforth and, and Thompson are probably your guys there. And then the question is how the, um, the portal guys, you know, interact with this. Uh, but let me stop there. Did I miss any returners in the inside linebacker room? Um, return. No. Yeah. I think you got everyone who's okay. coming back. Yeah. So then the interesting, you know, the, the, the interesting guys are the additions. They got bef- uh, prior to the spring game and played extensively in the spring game, Shane Lee from Alabama, um, who was, a, you know, he got a few reps at Alabama. Um, he's been around for a while. He's a 2019 recruit. I believe he's a senior at this point. Um, I was seeing him play with the number one uh, defense in uh, in the spring game. And if I had to put down a marker, I would probably say it's Goforth and Lee um, as the starters. You think I'm right about that? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's uh runaway starters. And, but the interesting thing is they got two interesting additions um, after the spring game. They got um, Eric Gentry from Arizona state who was a backup last year, but you could see like he was, a, he was taking over that room and as a true freshman, like I think his ceiling is really high. And, and then the other interesting one was Carson Tabarachi, um, who was a Utah <laughs> recruit in 2022. And then USC just straight up snatched him. Like, boy, I mean, if Lincoln, I sort of think the Lincoln Riley is a villain storyline is overplayed, but like, come on, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I, I mean, yeah. I guess UCLA did that to Jay Toya last year, but like we've already established Chip Kelly's a villain. Um, yeah. Well, the, the funny thing about Tabarachi too, is that like, he was, I just don't think he was like on anybody's radar. And then he has a really good spring with, with Utah. At least that's the narrative that I've seen. He had a really good spring with Utah and then boom, I'm going to go to <laughs> USC. It's like yeah. this just kid from like park city. Like what is, go- what yeah, is right. going on? 
Do you think that, I mean, we can't know because we didn't see him in the spring game and like, or I can't yeah. know anyway, because I know nothing about USC that wasn't in the spring game. Do you think that Gentry or Tabarachi have a chance of upsetting the apple cart here? I would be quite surprised. Um, I think Shane Lee has come in and just sort of taken over the room and, and he's now the leader. Uh, he's now the, the sort of big dog in, in that room. So I think you sort of lock him in. Um, if anybody has a vulnerable position, it's really go forth, uh -huh. but he's also kind of been a leader. He's sort of a senior guy that, uh, that's very well respected. I mean, he's the returning top tackler, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I would be slightly surprised if he got unseated as well, but, um, you know, he also has been part of defenses, you know, top tackler, top tackler on a defense last year that was just miserably bad. So, sure. um, I don't think he's been, he's been a, a, a sort of key figure for USC on some defenses that have been very bad. Not, not speaking against him. Cause I, I do, I do like him as a, as a, as a guy. Well, like, like what we were saying earlier is like, it's very difficult to assess this team, you know, like yeah. returners on this team. Cause, cause of the Clay Helton effect. Yeah, exactly. So um, this will be his opportunity to prove that, like, no, he he was just sort of weighed down by the overall badness of the, the USC mm -hmm. defense over the last few years. But um, when you look at, like you said, like Eric Gentry looks like the kind of player who has a really, really bright future. And do you do you make him wait behind a, a guy like Raylan Goforth, who will graduate after this year, and and uh, and and maybe you have just more of a future there. I think Rajon Davis fits in there as well as another guy who, you know, is, is you hope him, you hope he's the future. You, you hope these are guys that will be your main linebackers for the next two years. Um, so are you going to deny them the, the game time in order to accommodate rail and go forth? Um, you know, unless he's really out there making huge plays and just being, being an absolute dog. Like I would be interested in seeing if, if, there can be some sort of shake up there um, because my big thing is I only want Raylan Goforth to be playing this year if he absolutely deserves it. So um, my hope is there Gentry is, is, is that guy and, and that can really push it because if I want him to either unseat Raylan Goforth or, or, or have there be proof that sure. like, no, it's, it's not there yet. So that's sort of where I'm at. Um, but at the same time, I've also been through enough, like just my mentality at this point is always, and and a lot of people don't, people get mad at the podcast because like they want to see things change up and, and they want to see the, like the young, exciting new guys. And for me, I just always default to the, to the more senior guy. Like I always default to, I mean, at linebacker, know. it usually makes sense. Yeah. You, know, you just, it just does that not one's more like what's between the years than, than what's between the shorter shoulders. Like, yeah. um, the, the thing that's sort of like, yet it, I, I guess I'm starting to sound like a broken record on this question, but like when you take this many portal guys, but you also have promising 2021 recruits like Ray John Davis and Julian Simon, you know, who are both 2021 guys. They were both four stars. I, I both, you know, I think both of those guys have all the athletic potential in the world, but you're sort of like, you're sort of saying something to those guys when you take a dude from ASU and you snatch a dude from Utah, you know, like, mm -hmm. and you've got, you know, the Bama guy who comes in sits on top of them and they've got a break, you know, out of the, the you know, the senior stranglehold uh, for go forth, like, you know, like uh, a, hmm. I'll just put this in the most like harsh way possible. Just uh, I'll be a parody of a critic. Like if you had, you know, if you wanted to show a lot of confidence in Rajon Davis and Julian Simon, you wouldn't have taken those transfers, but they did. And so now those guys have got to be upset and they're going to transfer out. Right. 
Well, and and this is this is the danger of roster management, right? This right. part of part of the new phase of college football. Part of it is going to be how well do you manage your roster and your numbers and all that kind of stuff. Because yes, you take uh, you know I don't have any problem taking Eric Gentry a, a, at all, um, but at a certain point, yeah, if if you're you're blocking the path to starting for players like Rajon Davis and Julian Time, and they will leave. They will they will have no incentive to not leave. They sh- they should transfer at a certain point. And then you're left with, well, now you really the exact same <laughs> roster management problem as you started with before, because now you're going to have to bring in more. You like you said the 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 uh, transfer the treadmill. treadmill, yeah. Um, especially when you have two guys, Shane Lee, who is a grad, you know, he's a graduate transfer, and Raylan Goforth, who has this his final year of eligibility. Like, you need to give Davis and Simon. You need to let them feel like they are the the next guys up, and um, obviously they need to to earn that. But um, Gentry and and Caravaggio are also going to think that they're the next guys up. So yeah. uh, you only have two spots. I don't, and we'll see how. The, I mean, again, it's a it's a it's a tough situation. I mean, Rajon Davis maybe is a guy you can move to to rush end if you, if you really wanted to give him some other yeah. opportunities. But it's not like he's not going to also find himself. I, I just behind. I don't know much about him because I didn't see him play last year. You know, like I don't know. Is that a possibility? I, I'm not sure that he has the ideal size, but he was sort of projected coming out of high school as a guy who might be either uh, inside or outside linebacker. And so it was it was just one of those things where, like, he'd have to put on a bit of weight, but he has those pass rushing skills that might lend themselves to that. But clearly to me, like, he wants to play inside. So I don't know how you sort of balance that push and pull between wanting to play versus wanting to play the position that you think you're going to have your future at. Right. Mm. Uh, all right. Let's talk about the defensive backs. Uh, this is another position where, uh, or at least the cornerbacks anyway, where I sort of think they're going to go with the the guys that they recruited, even though they've taken a bunch of dudes in the portal. So the, the cornerbacks are uh, losing quite a bit of production. They're losing Isaac Taylor Stewart and Chris Steele and Jaden Williams and Dorian Hewitt. And uh, well, I'll list the other DBs they lost too, in case I'm I'm miscategorizing guys. They, they are also well, there, there's so much mixing. Th- like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they're also losing Chase Williams. There's like seven guys named Williams in this room. Yes. Uh, they're losing Chase Williams, Isaiah Polamau, and Greg Johnson as well. Um, that's like you know, basically, you know, almost everybody who made a tackle last year, you know, on that list. Did I miss anybody? Uh, leaving, I think that's all. T- Taylor Stewart, Steele, Jaden Williams, Chase Williams, Dorian Hewitt, Isaiah Polamau, Greg Johnson. Yeah, that sounds yeah. right. It's kind of like the who's who of, of USC's, you know, DB group over the last couple of years. Um, yeah. it's, it's really going to be sort of a fresh crew um, uh, this time around. Let's start with the cornerbacks. They... They recruited really well in 2021. They recruited Prophet Brown and Sierra Wright. And I was actually somewhat pleasantly surprised to see in the spring game that those were the guys that they were really playing um, on the outside. And I was sort of like, huh, what, what a revelation. They took a bunch of guys in the transfer portal. Uh, they took Colorado's Mecky Blackman. Oregon got the other um, uh, corner from Colorado, Christian Gonzalez. Uh, they took Jacob Covington um, from Washington. They took a guy whose apparently his first name is the letter L. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> from from the FCS uh and they recruited two freshmen uh Damani Jackson uh who's like, oh my god that guy's super talented and also uh, world, uh, yep. uh Fabian Ross uh, who's also a four star um 
I think that the uh, kids that they have recruited out of the uh, the prep ranks uh, look better to me than the guys that they took out of the portal and that they're going to stick with the guys out of the prep ranks. What do you think? Uh, I, there's a lot of chatter about uh, Blackman ending up being a, being the starter uh, at, at corner, one of those corner spots. I, I don't um, think I was seeing him in the spring game. Was he held out? Uh, I was or, he? or did I not see him? Cry? I, entirely possible. They don't put the nameplates on the jerseys. Blackman is six and Brown is 16 and Wright is 22. And the other cornerback that I was seeing was number 13, who is Ote. Yeah, who's, who's pretty much just buried on the... Yeah. And then the other returner is Joshua Jackson. That's the other name that there's a million of Jacksons on this team. Um, he was 23, but I don't think I was seeing him in the spring game. I was really just seeing Brown, Wright, and Ote. Well, there was a there was a rash of injuries in spring with the corners, so I can't remember who was in and out for the spring game, but I that it's possible Blackman didn't play, but he definitely mm. was one of like the big stars of the spring. Are you a believer? Well, uh, so I think I agree with you that there's some really, really good potential that uh, that USC has added. Uh, USC has recruited. I mean, Dante Williams has recruited very, very well the cornerback position. So the the talent is stocked there as far as guys that can that can get in and play. Um, what I like about him is that uh, about Blackman is that you're not necessarily relying on sort of the young guys. Uh, to to hopefully not make mistakes all the time. Um, so again, sort of defaulting to the older head with more experience, I'm pretty comfortable with, especially when you can sort of have him be your anchor at corner and then give let the other younger guys sort of fight it out and see who who starts to sort of earn their keep. Um, so that uh, I sort of expect that to to happen, but. Uh, at the same time, like you said, like Dante Williams has recruited all of these guys. So I wouldn't be surprised if he sort of went that way and, and decided to just let them have their, let them, ha- let them go for it. But um, at the same time, you know, Joshua Jackson, um, who converted from wide receiver to corner la- yeah. uh, last year, he's another guy who, you know, during spring, it looked like he was taking a lot of, of, first team reps and being very involved. So uh, a lot of it's a little bit difficult to tell because guys were not all available at the same time, all the time. So somebody getting a first team rep doesn't mean that they're actually like the first choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I think, I think that the, the cornerback shakeout of, of all of the positions on the team, this is where I sort of expect there to be the most um, fluidity throughout the season. Uh, whether from injury or from just the pecking order changing. I, I don't know that there's anyone who's absolutely 100% bang on a starting quarterback corner. I think yeah, you, probably, I mean, you probably start the season with, with Blackman and uh, Jackson, the the sort of older guys, and then the young guys move through and take spots or don't. I mean, if, if, if Brown, Wright, and in the future, Jackson, you know, uh, aren't beating out guys like, Mickey Blackman, who like, you know, look, I was watching that guy at Colorado for a long time, you know, mm-hmm. like he's got a ceiling. Um, he's experienced. That's good. Um, but I mean, that's the interesting thing about this cornerback room is that you have these fabulously talented freshmen 
And, you know, then you've got, you know, uh, the, the more experienced guys who I think have more of a talent ceiling like Blackman and Jackson. Um, you've got sort of guys in between like Ote. Uh, I think that uh, Jacob Covington's one of those guys, too. He was a, you know, four star at Washington, but then he like barely played. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've got total unknowns like Damani Jackson and, and Fabian Ross. It's just like, yeah, fluidity, I think, is the right word here. Like this should actually be a really, really interesting, uh, you know, fall camp fight, you know, assuming... I believe that Blackman was just held out with some nicks and bruises. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I'm seeing an article about that. Um, you know, it, it, but it, it means that like I didn't get to, to to watch him play in Alex Grinch's defense. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know. You know how he fits. Like maybe he's a really you know like both of these stories could be true he could be a tremendous locker room guy who's a really great leader for the team but like he gets cooked by this wide receiver core and so you know let's try somebody faster like you know we all of these are questions that we we have to find out in the fall like i this, this is yeah this ahead. is also some roster management situation too because Wright and brown had to redshirt last year mm-hmm and, you know, Damani Jackson, Fabian Ross, uh, Damani Jackson definitely doesn't expect to, to redshirt, but like those guys will have their own expectations of playing time. But like if I'm Prophet Brown or Sierra Wright, I'm thinking like, yeah, I, I, I should be playing like I already had to sit out and yeah. now I should it should be my time to shine. And like, um, I, I mean, I, I'd be pissed off like if, if I were Brown or Wright and I and I was watching Blackman, Covington, Jackson, you know, uh, L Simpson play ahead of me I, in, in after I had redshirted, I'd be pissed off. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you do need to manage this around, you know, keep those guys happy too, because if they transfer out, well, yeah, you can, you can reload with some additional sort of additions uh, in, in 2023 or whatever, but you're now creating gaps in your, in your uh, roster progression, right? If you, if you lose those guys. So it's a, it's a tightrope. I, like I said, like, like you said, like, I think that the future is definitely, Wright, Brown, Damani Jackson, those guys. Like, if at the end of the season you told me that those that two of those three were the starting established starters, uh, I would feel very good about mm-hmm. the way that the season had gone. Um, I wouldn't take that as a bad sign if those are the guys that are that have taken over by the end of the season. All right, the safeties. Um, so what I was seeing in the spring game is actually, I think, what we're going to see during the season. Uh, you know, they 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 took three additions. Zion Branch, uh, the true freshman, but again, he's not available till the fall. I, I you know, he's a he's a high four star, but I sort of think there's a lot of guys ahead of him. I'm not expecting to see him play. What do you think? Uh, yeah, very talented guy, um, exciting guy, but just given who's available in front of him, uh, the guys who are already sort of in line, I just, I don't see it. I don't see it happening right away for him. I mean, you never know, but it just wouldn't bank on that. The uh, safety who had the most tackles in uh, 2021 is the Ohio State uh, transfer, Bryson Shaw. Uh, but I had to do a bunch of film study on that guy, and and I will duxplain at this point. That dude sucks out loud. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, if you're playing Bryson Shaw, you're in trouble. At least Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, at any rate, I didn't see him in the spring game. The the intriguing one um, to me is uh, Latrell McCutcheon, um, who transferred from Oklahoma. Um, we, we, we didn't actually see him much um, in 2021. Uh, uh, they were doing some really weird rotations. I actually did not like the way that... I, I, 
I didn't like the way that Alex Grinch managed the defensive backfield at all. And the way that their corners play with leverage is screwy as hell. Read my Alamo, uh, Alamo Bowl preview. I, 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 I expounded on this length. Anyway, um, I, I, re- I feel like Latrell McCutcheon, uh, I was seeing him a bunch um, in the spring game. And I think that's probably the only new guy who might uh, supplant um, one of the, the returners. What do you think about that theory? Yeah, I, I think you're you're probably right. Although, and and even that, I I would be very very surprised if Kalen Bullock and, and Xavier Alford weren't just yeah. the, the established starting safeties, um, and then the the rest sort of just uh, I wouldn't I would be curious if any of them get uh, sort of shoved over to Nickelback just to just to throw them in there, depending on on the looks of the other team. I, or, I was seeing. I was seeing Max Williams. Yeah, um, Max Williams, the nickel, and yeah. Jalen Smith is is the backup nickel. Right. Um, and uh, and yeah, I would expect that to go. the The sad thing is, that, like, I love Max Williams. He's he's wonderful, but he's just a walking injury. So yeah. I, part of me doesn't even want to like. Part of me is already building contingencies for the the when, um, not the if on on sadly on him probably getting injured at some point. Yeah, so. Boy. That but yeah, like McCutcheon is is intriguing, but also it's just Bullock is has way too high of a, of a future for him, well, and and Alfred has played well enough um, under different difficult circumstances that short of an injury, I'm not sure where the rest of that uh, that safety room gets a ton of run. Yeah, no, I mean, it looks like it's relatively set. The reason why I let off talking about McCutcheon is because I think he, at Oklahoma, he was the, he was also playing cornerback. He was switching between safety yeah. and cornerback, you know, because like I said, they were doing some weird stuff with their DBs last year. Um, and I sort of think he, that guy might get switched over to the cornerback room full time simply because, you know, it, it, as we just finished talking about, the the cornerback room looks, you know, awfully fluid. Um, and Whereas the safety room looks very, you know, despite you know all the losses of chase williams and isaiah Polamau and greg johnson the safety room looks very established with the returning players between you know caleb bullock caleb bullock who's you know got to be the, the the free safety he's got a backup you know built-in backup in anthony beavers you've got uh you know max williams is a you know starting uh, nickelback you've got jalen smith is the established you know backup to that guy you've got zamarian garden is the 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 established boundary safety although i um I don't think he's very good. Uh, and Micah Kroom, the the FCS guy, uh, as as his backup. You know, I, I think uh, boundary safety is the only position that M- the McCutcheon might be able to break in because, like I said, you know, I'm not wild about Gordon or Kroom. But you know, if he doesn't there, you might see him in the cornerback room. Uh, what do you think about that recitation? I think I think and every every situation with the DBs to me like I think there's a reason that USC lists the DBs as just DB on the roster because mm. that's the exact sort of mindset that has been the recruiting of that room of of the secondary and all of that is that um guys will fit where they where they fit and the interesting thing with McCutcheon is that like it was weird when he decided to commit to USC because the defensive staff that he was like publicly speaking out against at Oklahoma yeah. is, is what he joined here. So like there, there has been a like Roy, uh, Roy Manning is not, um, is not, uh, uh, he moved to linebackers. So like, maybe it's a situation where McCutcheon is more comfortable playing um, under one of the other coaches, but 
it's Dante Williams is still at cornerbacks, but I think Grinch has the safeties, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it just like, I don't know if the, the plan is that they want him at safety for one reason or another, if they're willing to move him around, like I wouldn't be surprised at all, but at the same time, like if they move him over to, if they have him over in the cornerback room, again, we're having a discussion about, well, what does that mean for Sierra Wright and Robert Brown? Right. What does that mean for Damani Jackson? Um, yeah, I, I just uh, the, the everything like I, I'm just going with the fluid the fluid word here yeah, for everything I mean, in the secondary because every th- this everyone in this room was recruited part in part because like of positional sort of fluidity like Anthony Beavers came in and it was like well he could play linebacker too if we really needed him <laughs> to in a pinch so well I mean it's definitely like you know that's been the joke up here in Oregon is that you know that's the only position that USC ever wants to recruit is all the defensive backs um yes and and you know part of it is that reason is that it's also mixing in the nickel and the cornerback and it's like you know to you know having if you're running a nickel defense then having 20 DBs is like that's right that's the number Helpful. that you want to have like yeah. uh and, and you know they recruit fairly well it's just the reason that I just wanted to frame it that way and I wanted to to to, it sounds like you agree is that like i feel like the safeties are fairly like we know what the pecking order is right yeah. like we know what the starter in the backup is for nickel we know what the starter in the backup is for free safety we know what the starter in the backup is for boundary safety right um uh and like you know and, and it sort of felt like they took you know like I, boy i hate to like feed into narratives here but it sort of feels like they took a bunch of transfers here just for the sake of taking transfers i don't think they needed to i don't think they needed to take mccutcheon or shaw or frankly blackman or covington i, I think they could have lived without all four of those guys and just gone with the dudes that they recruited and i'm sort of like why did you you know why did you get these guys you know yeah. what i mean like do you think i'm crazy for thinking that no, I don't. I, of all of the positions that that got reinforcements from the transfer portal, it was a little bit surprising that that the DBs were were where it was. This could just be a reflection of like Dante Williams is too good at recruiting for his own good, <laughs> and, uh, and they just they just bring in guys uh, guys whenever. But um, but the yeah. I, it's it's a weird situation. It could be that they just saw McCutcheon as like someone they couldn't pass up, and in in that case, it would make sense for your sort of theory that they're going to move him around to find somewhere for him to play. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure that he's that level of player, but if he turned out to be, that would be wonderful. I, sure, why not? <laughs> I don't know. It just sort of seems like you know, I I I, I do not want to portray like use of the transfer portal as a villainous thing. Like I, I think it's great. I think that you know that, that players being able to go where they're more likely to play, more likely to get exposure, and potentially get NFL contracts is fantastic. I'm I'm very happy for them. Um, it, you know what we have sort of been noting throughout this podcast though is that it it can sign you up for problems in roster management that you might not have otherwise had. Um, and I sort of felt like if there's an area where it was excessive, it kind of looks like the, the DB's room, you know, it sort of looks excessive to me. Um, uh, and I, and, and I don't even really think, you know, the way they were sort of like inferring some other things about returners from, you know, to guys in the portal. I don't think it's really true. I think this is a really solid room. Um, and I think it sort of like reflexively took guys, you know, <laughs> Hey, they could just uh, you know, start uh, start eight DBs and 
start a revolution we'll yeah, see that's, what it... that's the joke in oregon is that that's what usc's you know it's gonna be the the one two eight defense yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right alicia uh we really uh put you through the ringer here congratulations on the longest <laughs> slash sorry for the longest uh pac-12 roster review however i mean this i mean is the there a more fascinating really team in the pac-12 than usc no. like i, I mean, mean in the off season of college football is there a more fast there are people mm-hmm. how many pundits out there that are being like the college football is not complete until usc is a is a full force again like how many times have you heard that damn storyline you know i mean like, we we would have recorded a three-hour podcast about any team that took 20 dudes out of the transfer portal like it's <laughs> like this team had to be complete like not Rebuild. completely but like 50 percent constructed out of the transfer portal which like that's never happened before like it was just mm. it's a it's a remarkable situation even if it weren't you know even if we we're talking about nothing but two stars it would be a remarkable situation and we're not talking about two stars yeah. <laughs> And uh, we saved the hardest, by far the hardest question for the last year, which is uh, how many wins do you think you're going to win uh, next next season here? And really quickly, I'll just say, I mean, so as far as the uh, out-of-conference goes, we got Rice, we got uh, in week one, we got Fresno State, which is after the Stanford game, of course. And then we've got um, Notre Dame. All three of those are in L.A. And then uh, as far as conference play, you're going to miss Oregon and you're going to miss Washington. So two, I don't know, first year head coaches there, but overall, that's probably a pretty good draw. And then uh, you'll be playing on the road at Stanford, at Oregon State, at Utah, at Arizona and at UCLA. So after all that being said, how many wins do you think you're going to get? Uh, I, I think I'm firmly in the eight and four, nine and three range. Mm. Uh, I think USC loses at Stanford, uh, loses to Notre Dame and at Utah. So those are the three. And then the fourth is just like, I don't know, some random loss to Cal or something stupid like that. Like (laughs) just one of those days. You're confident in beating both Oregon state and UCLA on the road. I am not confident in either of those things. Um, but I, I will, I will give it like if, if Oregon state was the fourth loss, that would not be a surprise at all. At all. If UCLA was the fourth loss, I would not be surprised at all. Um, I think there's potentially five losses in the schedule, depending on how on the, all the offensive line stuff that we talked about, depending on Mm -hmm. how the defense all comes together. So there's, there's a lot of dependent things, but the talent level, I think that USC is definitely rebuilding a roster, but this roster is still full of of really talented players, um, and it has a, a competent coach at least, at least somebody who we know has produced really really stellar offenses in the past, uh, and I think that alone will will make sure that this team is is no worse. I think than eight and four. I think more realistically, uh, nine and three um, in a in a in a sort of more optimistic take. Well, that's what you got rid of Clay Hilton to do, right? Yeah. yeah well, yes. <laughs> Nine and three life, man. Well, uh, and uh, Alicia and Michael are well known for producing quality podcasts over there at Reign of Troy. So really give it a listen. And at Penguin of Troy is where you will find Alicia specifically on Twitter uh, at Reign of Troy. And uh, Hithliday, you can always find his work at Addicted to Quack, either the website or the Twitter account. 
We're obviously the Quack 12 Podcast, at Quack 12 Podcast. And uh, I just wanted to thank both of you for being down to really get into what is definitely the most intriguing question of, I, I mean, I think of all of college football offseason right now is like, is Lincoln Riley. What Can he get this thing really humming? And uh, I, I'm just glad for you, Alicia, too, that you, you know, the things are mixed up and you get a, you know, have some more pep in your step when you're talking. It's not like, all right, here we go. Clay, even though I loved those episodes <laughs> quite a bit too, as a time. Yeah, no, there's nothing more fun in the world for me to hear than USC fans with raised expectations. Like, <laughs> it's great. Hey, I'm just glad that we have something new to talk about. It's not the same old off season. I'm excited. Absolutely. Well, once again, Reign of Troy, everybody go out and listen to it. Subscribe five stars and Apple podcast. It really is a great show. Um, yeah. And uh, actually, we did a really good episode way back in the day, breaking down almost every Oregon versus USC game they have ever played. I think every game, actually. Um, and we went uh, through it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just about as long as this episode. So thank you for your patience again, Alicia. Of course. I, I, I love a good marathon episode. Uh, it was my pleasure. I, I really enjoyed it. At least it's, uh, it's always wonderful to talk to you. Yeah, All it's right. always it. I'll get I'll get uh, ducks blamed on the uh, on the Lincoln Riley uh, <laughs> offense anytime you need to. You you know way more about the, the, the schematic stuff than I do. Well, yeah. uh, well um, go ducks and go Trojans. I think that's the first time I've ever said that. You should have just played the song. There's only three of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See you next week.